You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Woo-hoo! Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, Earth Station One listeners. Welcome to another episode. And this time we are going to infinity and beyond. That's right, folks. We are going to look at Lightyear, the newest movie by Pixar, which gives the origins of Buzz Lightyear, maybe, but it was very interesting to find out what they based the toy off of. We got to see Zerg. It was a lot of fun seeing, you know, a really cool space adventure, especially after we went to the Jurassic era last week (laughs) where we wanted to claw our eyes out. So, you know, it was a nice breath of fresh air and hopefully you know you guys got to go see it because we will be spoiling the heck out of this one folks and speaking of spoiling the heck out of this one this man is ready to join the space court let's welcome mr mike gordon howdy are you ready to go on to adventures across the galaxy sir are you gonna are you gonna pull my finger no why would i want to pull your finger that's that's the thing right right that's the thing to infinity and beyond, like we 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 pull each other's finger. I think you got the wrong meaning out of the movie, dude. I really, really do. But how are you, dude? I am peachy keen. You know, trying to stay cool in this uh, Atlanta summer heat. Wow, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It's you know, it's tough because it's ghastly hot here and. It's only going to get worse this week. And it, as I like to say here, it's not a dry heat, folks. It is not a dry heat like out in the desert. I w- sometimes I wish it was. And it's like my darling wife is like now going, we are definitely moving someplace cooler. That's it. We are moving someplace cooler. And it's like, really? Where? Antarctica? You know? Because, <laughs> you know. There's not many places that are cooler this time of year, especially, you know, with what's going on in the world and everything. So craziness as it is. But it's going to be a ton of fun to talk about this movie. And you know what, folks? We could actually be looking at some amazing, you know, movies and adventures coming out of this. Could this spin off into a TV series? Could it be sequels? Can it be, you know, could we now then see a Woody movie? Could we see a Mr. Potato Head movie or Bo Peep? You know, it'll be very cool to see what we have, you know, coming out of this. What's what's the name of the sport? Exactly. Sporky. Sporky? Yes. (laughs) It was done by a little kid. Come on. It wasn't, you know. Right. Exactly. So it was pretty cool. So we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Feedback at earthstation1.com. Let us know what you guys thought about this. If you get a chance, please give us five-star ratings. We would really appreciate it. And, you know, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, as we like to say. It does a good mitzvah, as my grandparents would say, if you tell your friends about it. It's a good thing. So definitely, you know, if you haven't subscribed to us, we're available 
anywhere fine podcasts are found. And if for some reason this is the first show you're listening to, welcome. We got a great one for you, folks. We really do. It's going to be a ton of fun to talk about a fun movie. So definitely worth checking out. Also, if you want to go and check out some of our older episodes, of course, we're available and like we said, any of the podcast sites, but you could also go to earthstation1.com and you could go back over 100 episodes to listen to older episodes that you want to listen to. And if you want to go even further back, go to esonetwork.com. I think they go all the way back to episode one on that. So it's pretty cool. That's, you know... God, that's almost like probably thousands of hours of listening to Mike and me talk. Would you really want to do that? Ah, uh, man, you've got to be made of strong stuff. Oh, very much so. The right stuff, you could say. So definitely would love to help you. Somebody would do that. But definitely try to find us. And you know what? We've done some great stuff over the last 12 and a half years now. And we're just having a ton of fun doing it. So it's pretty cool. So as we go into the future... Let's, you know, talk about, of course, our sponsor for this week. Our sponsor, of course, is Tifosi Optical. Tifosi Optical has amazing sunglasses. It won't protect you from the heat, but it will protect you from the glare of the sun. And you know what? A lot of the country is in a really hot area, you know, but you could look cool with Tifosi sunglasses. And you can select colors. You can select frames of any style that you want that they have. It's pretty cool stuff that they got. And if you have a prescription like I do, they can handle that also. So definitely check out TifosiOptical.com. And in the coupon code, put in EarthStation1, and you get 10% off your whole order. Not just one thing, my friends. Your whole order. So that's pretty generous of the fine folks at Tifosi Optical. Just go to TifosiOptics.com and tell them EarthStation1 sent you. And now we're here with our new friend, Brian Parkinson. Welcome to EarthStation1. You are a filmmaker and a podcaster. Two treats in one. This is pretty awesome, man. Welcome. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Welcome to the station. Uh, for those my, people who might not be familiar with your podcast or what you do, like tell us a little bit about what you're, what you're putting out there. Yeah, sure. So uh, I have a podcast. It's called That Other Interview Show. And uh, I interview actors, authors, and directors. Uh, we're still fairly new. We started back in December. Um, we've got three episodes live right now. I've got, oh, goodness. Uh, I think I have about seven on deck right now that are in, in the editing bay. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, host more coming. So it's uh, we've got great stuff. We've got some really, really interesting guests. Um, but we, we focus a lot on, you know, it, it's interesting the the podcast started out, I, I'm a big horror guy. I love horror. I saw Night Living Dead as a kid and for better or worse, you know, I saw Night Living Dead as a kid and I, and I fell in love with, with horror at that point and it just never left me. It was, it was a life-changing experience and it's always been a passion that I've had. And I knew that I had, is it okay if I tell the story about how the podcast started? Absolutely. No, I was um, going to, Yeah. So it, it started in October. I knew I'd always wanted to do a podcast, but I never had an idea. And I'm I'm nearing 40. And so I've kind of hit the the nostalgia phase. And I ran across, do you guys remember Monster Vision on TNT back in the 90s? Mm-hmm. I, I, I had completely forgotten about Monster Vision. And I somehow or another ran across a Monster Vision clip on YouTube. And I I thought, Oh my gosh, it's monster vision. I can't believe it. I just started absorbing it. Well, come to find out, um, Joe Bob Briggs, John Bloom, but Joe Bob Briggs, uh, is on cameo. And I thought 
I would love to talk to him and just get to pick his brain a little bit. So I, I, I paid the two ninety nine and I, and I sent him a message and he responded to me. He's a very nice guy. And I found myself wanting to find out about who he was as a person. And it dawned, I was literally, it was a Friday. It was a Friday, I think around lunchtime, actually, I was sitting at my desk and it dawned on me. That's my podcast. Why don't you interview people in horror, but don't focus purely on their careers. Also let them talk about who they are as people, you know, mm-hmm. and my, my concept is master storytellers telling their stories and, and it's, and it started to evolve. It's, it's getting out of the realm of horror. I'm, I'm starting to get guests that are, that are kind of outside that realm, but in its roots, it's all about horror. So the current episodes, you know, the, the, these are guys that are, that are filmmakers that have done horror. Um, but I mean, it's been an amazing experience because I've gotten to talk to some of my heroes. Um, and I can't, I can't tell you, I mean, you guys know you do a podcast. I mean, just the, the privilege that is to get to talk to your heroes. You know, <laughs> to, absolutely. To, to get to interview Scott, my favorite movie of all time is Dawn of the Dead. Gotcha. So to, to the 1978 version, by the way, let me be clear. Since there is the okay. I was going to ask, that was my next question. <laughs> I, 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 you know, it, it, that, that movie is near and dear to my heart. I mean, in fact, right here on my desk, I have my small Dawn of the Dead collection. I got to interview Scott Reiniger and I got to tell that man how that movie changed my life. And that I'm pursuing filmmaking today in large part because of the influence that film had on me. And there's no amount of money on earth that, that can buy how amazing of an experience that was to get to tell that man that, you know, and tell Mm -hmm. how much that film meant to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I went to my first purely horror convention uh, recently, about a month or so ago, friends of mine put on a show called um, FrankenCon in Knoxville, Tennessee, and actually Joe Bob Briggs was there uh, with um, oh, what's your name? The male girl. I can't. Donna Darcy. No. Darcy. Darcy. Thank you. I knew it was Donna Prince is a real name, but Darcy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were there, and uh, I was familiar with Joe Bob Briggs from a lot of stuff that he did, um, but I had no idea the appeal of him because, man that people came out and there was a huge line for him all day. Everybody was excited. And he was like, there was other guests too, but he was, he was pretty much the biggest name they had. Um, And, and by far the biggest lines and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, and I thought about it a little bit and I was talking to people and I know enough people who are really into horror and everything that it seems like if you're really into horror, not only do you love the movies, like what's on screen, but you love like, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes, like the people who make it, the people, how the effects are done, the makeup. There's a, there seems to be more of an appreciation for how the movies are made and the people who are responsible for that. than your average, like, Oh, I like sports movies or I like this kind of movie or whatever. Um, It just, it really dawned on me that people really seem to pay attention to that sort of thing. And it seems like in your case, that definitely was true, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and it's interesting uh, you mentioned Frankencon. I actually live in Knoxville, Tennessee. Oh wow! And that Saturday, uh, I was invited. So I, I knew somebody that had a booth out there, and I couldn't make it out there that day. And I had no idea that Joe Bob was going to be out there. <laughs> and I so badly, and maybe he listens to this podcast. I, I so badly want to shake the man's hand and thank him for the influence he's had on me, because he also put out this little monologue. He called it's called keep rolling. It's about five minutes and 47 seconds long. And it's the attitude I've adopted to filmmaking, you know, up until the point when I heard that I I looked at myself as an aspiring filmmaker 
And he actually literally calls that out in this little monologue. And he says, you know, F aspiring like this, you're a filmmaker. And, you know, he's like, if you've got 10 minutes a day to work on your script, you're working on 10 minutes a day. You're not an auto mechanic. You're not a dish, not a that. You're a filmmaker. You're a screenwriter. You're a director. you got to start identifying as that. And that, that had a big impact on me. So not, not only did I become a podcaster in, in part due to Joe Bob, but, but also a filmmaker in part due to Joe Bob. And I just, I just really want to shake the man's hand and look him in the eye and say, thank you for the impact you've had on me. And then the, I mean, the life-changing impact. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. And I missed uh, it by that much. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, I'm sure he'll, you know, come around again. Like he does a lot of conventions. So I'm sure the mm. opportunity will be there. And I know that there's going to be a Franken-Con next year. It's going to be two days next year. So hopefully I'll see you there because I'm definitely going to check that out again because it was a good show. And and the people who put it on are great, too. So um, I don't know if Joe Bob's coming back, but uh, I do know that. Uh, they'll have, uh, I think they're calling it Bride of Franken-Con. So, uh, that's great. Exactly. Uh, so, um, so yeah. So tell me about the, 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 the films that you're part of, the filmmaking that you're part of, because you do have some IMDb credits, right? So, um, so you've actually finished some films. Is that correct? Well, uh, no. So I'm, I'm working on my first film. It's a short film. Okay. It's called, it's called, it's called Blood Repentance. Um, I do have my hands in some movies. Um, <laughs> blood, blood repentance, and, and I'm, I'm going to be intentionally vague about the plot. Um, sure. And it's driving people crazy, but, you know, I've, I've got to be. It's, um, it, it's uh, well, I mean, if I'm being quite honest, I'm, I'm actually kind of enjoying making people want to know what the movie's about and not tell them. But, but I mean, ultimately, it's, it's a vampire film, uh, but it's, 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 it's really about loss and redemption. Are, are the two main themes. And I've got some twists on what a vampire is in it. Um, but it, it uh, you know, it, it just, um, believe it or not, the, the movie started as a two minute challenge from somebody. Um, I, 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 when I started my company, cause I also, I run a small production company called Dawn Journey Productions. Um, I started Dawn Journey as, as an umbrella to just do everything under and it's, and it's been growing and gaining momentum. Um, a friend of mine really, you know, he's like, I, I want to, he, he wanted to see if I was serious about it, you know, cause I wanted him to, to, to jump on board with me. And so he said, Hey, you know, I want you and, and my friend Donovan is like, I want you guys to do a little two minute, you know, just a little two minute video I, I, in my head. I'm like that, that does not good enough. I guess. I don't know. That just, I was like, I'll do it, but I just, it didn't feel good enough. And then, and then I think once I heard that monologue from Joe Bob, I really was like, no, I'm going to really go after this, you know? And I, and I can't, to me, I can't remember if I had started the screenplay at that point. Um, but somewhere around that time, I started writing the script and, and it actually started out as a nine page script and, and it evolved into uh, what's, what's now a 21 page script. Um, and I've got, I've got an entire cast. I've got an entire crew. Uh, you know, the, one of the most amazing experiences of my life, um, you know, we're talking about monster vision, honey, Michelle Gregory, the, the original male girl from monster vision. She actually was with Joe Bob on, um, Joe Bob's driving the theater on the movie channel. She's mm-hmm. in my movie. We wow. filmed her scenes this past Thursday. Um, I'm beginning so to think like the whole world revolves around Jim Bob. I would Joe Bob. I didn't really realize that until like a month ago, but he's coming up more and more. And I'm like, oh, paying attention. I'm going, wait a minute. I think there's more to this guy than I thought. Well, you know, it's, he just, he had such, I mean, he, he really has been an icon in, in, in the industry since the eighties, but I, my generation, we grew up watching monster vision and he, and he commented at one point, it was interesting all these fans he meets, he's like, none of them were old enough to be watching this show, but, but, but they did, they were, they were watching it. So we all grew up watching him. And 
what I find really interesting is when he was approached with the idea of doing another, you know, now he's doing the last driving. Well, he was, when he was approached with that idea, he literally was like, nobody wants to see something that's, a, you know, a 20 year old kind, like nobody's going to be interested in that. We did that 20 years ago. It's been done. And he couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, look at the cult following it has, you know, but there's just something, there's something electric about the guy. I mean, he, he's had a really big impact on me. Um, and, and, and it just, and guys, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I look back on this journey and it's, it's just been, it's surreal. You know, I mean, like when I'm on set and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm directing and I'm talking to the actors and I'm talking to the crew, it's just like, wow, this is really happening, you know? Um, and, and, and there's been a lot of networking as well. I mean, I'm actually co-writing a, a, a film. Um, that's actually not on my view right now, but I'm co-writing a film with a friend of mine uh, named Steve Herman. I'm really excited about this one. It's uh, I don't know what I could say about it. So I'm going to be vague, but it's, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think this will probably be one of the most fun scripts I ever write. Like we, we, there's a lot of laughing going on as we're writing this. So I am co-writing a film, uh, Jason Horton cravings on my MDB. Um, I'm an associate producer on that. Um, and, and I know Jason as well. Um, we, uh, you know, we, we've talked occasionally and, I, and I've actually interviewed him as well. He's a great guy. If you guys can ever interview him, he's fantastic. He's a great guy. He's, he's a really gifted teacher. Um, and then uh, Trapiti, I'm also an associate producer on, and I interviewed them as well, the entire cast. Uh, that's one of my upcoming episodes. I've got a um, – those people, Acrostar Films, um, are, are who are, they're behind the, the movie I'm right now, and they're behind Trapidity. That group of people is just absolutely lovely. Um, I, 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 had, I had all these people on, and they were just – I just fell in love with them. They're, they're just a really awesome little group of people. And I think they're a really good example of where – Independent, independent film is going today. I think it's becoming like very tribal. You know, it seems like yeah. they're, they're starting to be kind of these, yeah. these families, you know, like, and, and they're just doing everything in house. I mean, I'm kind of creating the same thing and I love it. I mean, indie films are great. It's fantastic. It's just so much fun. Um, but yeah, you know, so, so I've, I've got, I've got my hands in, in different things. I, I'm trying to get as much experience as I can, but I'm also, um, just for Dawn Journey Productions, you know, I've got, I've got, uh, three people on the team with me. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. I've got four people on the team with me. And, um, I really, I want to call me a dreamer, but I want to change the world. The, the prevailing message I have heard, you know, cause I've, I've, I, I was in film school for like 12 hours, like, like no joke for about 12 hours. I was in film school and it fell through and, and it broke my heart. But I was like, well, I've got to do, you know, I've, I've, I'm still going to do this. So I just figured out on my own, you know, so all the podcasts I've listened to all the research I've done, you know, I'm, I'm reading a really good book right now. Um, I keep hearing this prevailing message of how difficult the industry is to break into. And in the back of my head, I'm like, why does it have to be that way? So my vision for my company is I eventually want to create something that if we take your project on, we're going to be, a, I mean, I want to make movies, but I want other people to be able to make movies as well. And I want it to be not only accessible, I want it to be ultra accessible. So, you know, you reach out to me, you know, you call me, you call one of my, my employees We'll take a look at your idea. We'll take a look at your script. You may even need help writing a script. You may just say, hey, look, I want to be a filmmaker and I've got an idea. Well, cool. Come talk to us. If we like the idea, you know, if you're willing to work within the values of our company, because we do have values, um, we're going to make your movie. We'll make it happen. We have studio space. We've got equipment. We're going to hook you up with a mentor. Like I want to have like veteran directors on staff that we can actually assign you a mentor. And, and they walk with you the entire process. Like they'll be, you know, they'll be your AD on the, on the set. 
and you can call them and talk to them and chat with them. Like I want people to have all the things that I was searching for when I started, because my heart is, I want to help people. I want to encourage people. I want to see people's dreams come to life. And so that that's what I'm trying to create in all of this, you know? So it's, it's been, it's been a really surreal journey. I, I, I've probably gone way beyond your question. Mike. No, 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 that's it. I mean, that's what, that's what we're here for to find out more about you and everything. And, and I think you've sort of answered this, but I, I was thinking, uh, cause I'm always interested to know this, you know, when you, when you, for your entire life, you're watching horror movies, you're loving horror movies, movies in general, um, you're talking to people, you're finding out more about the behind the scenes stuff. What, you know, from, from the, during that journey, from loving something to finding out more about it and then ultimately being part of it, what has been like the biggest surprise to you? Like, wow, I never thought that was something that was a thing. Um, you know, uh, because I would imagine that it, it's in some ways probably not what you thought. That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, I mean, you've sort of mentioned about how supportive it seems like the community has been. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, um, it doesn't seem like it would be that way on the outside. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Like there, 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 there are some fine lines you have to navigate in, in, in the industry I've seen. Um it's relationship building is extremely important and, and there's kind of an established way of doing things. I've learned that, you know, I've made mistakes along the way and learned like, okay, well next time I need to do it this way. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think the most surprising thing has been um, really just how willing people are to help. Uh, it, it's, it's, I, I, I've, I've built a really large group of friends and I, I've gained more than just, you know, trying to think of the best way to say this. I've really gained a new family in filmmaking. I've, I've met so many great people and they've just welcomed me with open arms. I mean, like, uh, you know, I'm going to call somebody out. There's a, there's a girl named Beth Metcalf and she's part of the Star team and she's also a musician, but she does makeup effects. And um, another person calls it Angel Bradford. I've had to reach out to both of them about how to do makeup effects stuff. And they immediately responded, you know, here's how you do it. Here's what you should do. Here's what you need to get. Um, you know, Steve, uh, it's brought me into, to co-write with, them. I mean, just people are so willing to help. There's so many people out there who share the same attitude I have. They want to see others succeed. And then when you're on set with people, the feeling you get, the magic you feel, but also the sense of family you feel. You, you really grow close to these people that almost become like your children. It's like when you're, when you're a filmmaker, when you're a director, people are looking up to you. Um, they're, they're looking at you for how, for everything. I mean, they're looking at you like, where do we go next? Where do we do? What's, what should the scene look like? But they're also looking for you. How should I react? You know, when something goes wrong, how, how should we, and they may not realize they do this, but I recognize it as a filmmaker and as a director, they're looking to me to see how to react if something goes wrong. Um, so you, so you really, you become very protective. These, I mean, these become your tribe. I use the word tribe a lot. Like mm-hmm. they become your tribe. These, this is your family. And I think that I would, I would say the relationships you build have been the most, the deeper relationship you build. It's one thing to be a fan, but then to actually walk into the world and to shake the hands of the people and to talk to them as a peer, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's just so surreal, but they're very welcoming. They're very welcoming. That's a, uh, yeah. Do you think that is, is specific to the horror genre or do you think that's more um, open than that? 
I, you know, that's a great question. Um, I can only speak for, for the horror community, but my, my assumption is, well, let me, I've noticed that there, there, it seems like there's this thing. And I talked to, to Jason about this when I interviewed him, you know, you, when you're doing a podcast and you interview celebrities, you know, you, a lot of times you have to go through an agent. Um, and, and that's not always easy to do. A lot of times you get ignored. Uh, I, I find that you get ignored more than you get noticed. Um, but then there's some great people out there. They, they, they're like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Let me, let me reach out to them and we'll, you know, we'll get in touch with you and you schedule something and you know, it, it can be, it can be a great experience, but I feel like there are these inaccessible people, people that you just can't get access to unless you, you know, are, are just, waist deep in the industry that like there, there are some celebrities out there. I wouldn't even know who to call to, to, to interview. You know, it's just like, it's just, it, they, they just, you just have to know somebody that knows somebody, I guess, or, or you know, or know somebody that knows them. So I don't know. I can't say, I would say horror is unique. Um, I, I, I think it is unique community, but I would say there are people out there in, in, in the mainstream world that, that are just as helpful. Um, but, but, but I do think there's something a little more unique about the horror community. Yeah. Well, and I think that's definitely true, especially after being at the convention, not in a bad way whatsoever, but it just seems like it's more of a community. Um, and I think because, you know, I think because the movies themselves are not usually produced by major studios, uh, they're produced independently or low budget or whatever. Um, I think a lot of people not only recognize what's going on in the movie itself, but just recognize that, uh, you know, these are movies for, dare I say, like outcasts and people bond around that, you know, I think. Yeah. Um, and I think that that happens uh, with the horror community, both on both sides of the camera. I think I think, you know, I think you really touched on something there. I think that may be what makes the horror community so beautiful and so inclusive because. I mean, a lot of these people were not the popular kids in high school. You know, right. a lot of these people have, have felt like outcasts. And if you listen to my podcast, if you listen to my outro, um, you know, mental, mental health is, is, a, is a very important topic to me. I, I, I've struggled. I'm, I'm open about this. I've struggled with obsessive compulsive disorder, severe obsessive compulsive disorder my entire life, basically um, the majority of my life. And I, I have felt depression. I have felt anxiety. I, I, I have been in those those arenas. I'm very familiar with them. And I know that one of the prevailing things out there is people just don't feel loved and they don't feel like they matter. There are so many people out there who think that the world wouldn't would be a better place without them or that, you know, they the world doesn't even know they exist. And in my in my outro, I talk about, you know, that you're loved and you're cared for and you matter. I think that's just such an important message for people to hear. And and, and, I, and I think the horror community provides that for people. Mm-hmm. here's a place where I belong and nobody judges me. Here's a place I belong and I don't have to feel strange. I can wear these crazy costumes. I can dress like Leatherface, or I can dress like tank girl. I can, I can be me. And it's such a beautiful thing. And they're really inclusive. They really are inclusive. I mean, like anybody's welcome to the horror community. I love it. I love the horror community. Well, uh, speaking of, uh, people being judged, I think Mike, it's time for him to, uh, be strapped down and, and, be judged in the geek seat. Well, you know, the, the geek seat is usually somewhat forgiving, but, you know, it you have to give to get a little bit of take. So it's going to be. <laughs> maybe, maybe sacrifice a little bit more than you, 
than you thought. Yeah, there's a good possibility on that one. There's a very, very good possibility on that. All right, Brian, are you ready for your first question in the Geek Seat, my friend? I'm ready. Let's do it. I'll do my best. All right. Brian, what was your favorite geek out moment? Uh, yeah, can, can I tell you two? Sure. sure. This is your segment. Both, this is your segment. You can do what you want. They're both really great stories. So I'm going to start with Mr. Ken Forey. Um, so, you know, being a Dawn of the Dead fan, I'm a Ken Forey fan. And um, there's a convention in Nashville called the, the Full Moon Tattoo and Horror Festival. I think is the full name for it. And in 2015, uh, I, I went. And uh, there were two people there in particular that I wanted to meet. And one was Ken Forey. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell the other one here in a second. It's, it's, it's a funny story, too. I was terrified meeting this man. I like, I mean, like literally I'm, I, I can, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I'm, my glasses were fogging up. I was so terrified meeting him and I I'm obsessed with this film. I, I had all these questions I wanted to ask him and he was the, the nicest person you'll ever meet. I mean, he literally says like, relax, man, relax, you know? And, and people started coming up to his booth. And I was like, Oh, let's go. So no man, hang out. You know, he wanted me to hang out. And he actually asked me if I was a reporter twice. Cause I was asking him some just really obscure questions about the production. Uh, you know, like one of them was like, was that, you know, the tenement building that they're in at the beginning of the movie, was it actually abandoned? I'm sure he doesn't get asked that very often. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not a reporter. I just, I just love this movie. And, Really, really nice guy. Really sweet guy. Signed, you know, he actually, I actually have it right here. He signed my Dawn of the Dead DVD that I have. And, um, and people at home, was, he's holding up the case because, you know, this is an audio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So I mean, he, meeting him was, it was, was really great. Really nice guy. He has really big hands. That's one thing I remember about him too. His hands are huge. Um, but he's just super, super nice guy. So the next person I met was Tony Todd. And um, it's interesting. I actually became Twitter friends with Tony in 2015 as well. And I started just kind of chit-chatting with him before the convention. And I was telling him about restaurants in Nashville he should check out. And um, I was so nervous meeting him. I was so nervous meeting him. And what was really amazing is he, he's, he's got this really, really long line of people. And, and you know, in my memory, the line went quick. But it was a pretty lengthy line. What I noticed is he took time with every single person. He literally didn't rush a single person off. And I, I, I get in line, you know, I, I, I meet the guy and he literally, he point he looks at me, he points and he goes, Brian, right. I mean, knew me by name. I'm like, yeah, man, you know, and he's, well, tell, he's, he's like, tell me about these restaurants, you know? So I was telling about these restaurants in Nashville, you check out. And, and I just, I, I was just geeking out with this guy, but I mean, he, he knew me by name. He remembered me and I talked to him for about five minutes. And what was crazy is you, you know, he had this big long line of people and you expect to get rushed off. And, and he didn't do that at all. I, I never at any point felt rushed. I mean, like you could tell like he, he generally loves his fans and it's so cool to watch him on Twitter too. I mean, like he has a bazillion followers, but he also follows a bazillion people, you know, like he, he will follow his fans and he'll interact with you. I've noticed at the very least, if, if he, if he doesn't respond to your tweet with either a like and retweet or an actual response, it's because he didn't see it. You know, um, that's pretty awesome. That is yeah. really awesome. I love meeting people like that too, because they're real. And, you know, and they take the time to get to know the people that they meet also, mm -hmm. which is pretty awesome. And, he loves you know, his fans. Exactly. And he's appreciative of it. Not like some folks who are like, oh, yeah, get out of my face. You know, here's my autograph. Go away. Or here's a picture, you know, and yeah. they won't even remember him. So it's I, awesome. I have so much respect for Tony Todd. And, and he's the nicest human being you'll ever meet. He plays such evil like, I mean, you watch Sushi Girl or you, or you watch how terrifying he is in Final Destination or The Rock or hey, he's the 
biggest sweetheart you'll ever. He's just the nicest man you'll ever meet. He is so kind and so humble. And he, and he's, he's a genius, frankly, too. I mean, he, he loves the arts. You can tell he loves the craft. He loves film. He loves acting. He, he not only loves it, he loves the craft itself. You can really tell. He's, he's awesome. I, I love Tony Todd. I have so much respect for that man. Okay, awesome. Let's look at the opposite side of that. What's your most disappointing sure. geek out moment? Oh, man. Uh, hmm. I'm going to say miss, it probably miss, the, the Franken-Con thing, missing Joe Bob coming that close. That and Chuck Norris. Uh, I, I, I'm sort of I, – I've, I've worn a beard for many years. You know, Every now and then I'll get rid of it. But uh, I feel this like – um, I, I, it's really more of a joke. I joke about it, but I love, Chuck, I'd love to meet Chuck Norris one day. And he actually was at, he was in Knoxville at one point and, and I couldn't get off work to, to go see him. I really wish I could admit, I joked that like our beards would have like connected with each other and like maybe some kind of like, mm. you know, universal, universal level thing would have happened, you know, but it's, I've joked for years about like wanting to meet Chuck Norris. Cause he, he also just seems like a really nice guy. Um, so I, I would say that and just, being so close to meeting Joe Bob and just literally having no idea he was there and, and, and missing that. Like, I hate that so much and I'm mad at myself for, for missing it. I totally understand that. What geeks you out the most? I Film talking about film, talking about horror. Um, just, you know, Dawn, you know, getting a conversation about Dawn of the Dead and just, you know, talking about, you know, all the, the stuff that went on behind the scenes. Now Tom Savini did this and they shot a different ending. And um, I, I love talking about horror films. I love talking about film. Um, I, I would definitely say film and, and horror. That's awesome. I love that. What turns your geek off? A lack of humility in people. Really? Yep. A lack of humility in people. I, I really value humility. I really value genuineness in people. Um, and, and sometimes it can be really obvious when that's not present in people. And, and, I, and I, that really, that really bothers me. No, totally understand that. Totally understand that. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I got to give you a good answer on that one. I, I, I give me a second on that one. What fictional character I love to meet the most? MacGyver. Really? Yep. <laughs> the uh, Richard Dean Anderson yeah, version, yeah, or the yeah. uh... dude? I had an I, had, I I was a I was a child, but I ate strawberry ice cream and had a mullet in the eighties because of MacGyver. If, if I if I can meet MacGyver, I'm all about it, man. Teach me teach me to make a bomb out of a you know a toothpick and, and chewing gum and, and a paperclip. Like you know, like I would totally meet MacGyver. Oh, that's awesome. That's that's awesome. I, that's one of the most impressive answers. Well, that's thank you. I, I, I like that's, that. That's great. <laughs> what fictional character would you not like to meet, though? Oh boy. Um, trying to think of people that have scared me. Okay. You know what? I'm going to give an answer that I, that I, I never, I, I didn't think this would be my answer, but I remember seeing who framed Roger rabbit as a child, sure. and Christopher, Christopher Lloyd's character in that movie. Oh, do you Judge remember Doom. The, this judge Doom? Yeah. Do you remember the scene where he dips the shoe in the acid? Oh yeah. That scared the <laughs> mess out of me. Like I, I didn't like him from that moment on. So like there, that, him, there was a guy who cosplayed as that in that scene. At Dragon Con for a couple of years, and so he awesome. he actually even had the the barrel with him and the shoe. 
It oh, was man. awesome. That, that scene really got to me. I, I remember that it really scared me. Um, that, as you asked me that, I'm sitting there trying to think of all the villains in movies that have, that have terrified me, but that sticks out in my mind. So I'm going to go with that, him. That's awesome. No, that is pretty darn cool. I like that a lot. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Oh, um, wow. When I get really excited, I say dude a lot. I don't know if I'd call that a, <laughs> I don't know if I call that a geek, a geek word. Um, I see nothing wrong with saying dude. <laughs> I want to give a better answer than that though. Ah, man. Um, That's a really tough question. These, these are good questions, guys. These are really good questions. They're very thought-provoking. Um, That's what we do here. We thought-provoke. Chair's getting hot all of a sudden. Like, <laughs> um, well, that's a personal thing. I'm sorry. but <laughs> yeah, The geek seat can do that to you, man. It can make you sweat. You know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Ken Forey's line in Dawn of the Dead. When there's no more room in hell, the dead shall walk the earth. Um, that, that's the tagline for that. That's what I'm going to go with. Cause I love that movie. Um, so that's what I'm going to go with. No, that's awesome. That is a great, great line. What is your ideal geek occupation? Hmm. Geek occupation. Well, you know, in a roundabout way, I kind of do it. Cause I actually still, I do, I do still work a day job. I work in it. Being a hacker would be cool. Um, you know, but, but, but like a movie hacker, you know, like real life hacking is not nearly as interesting. It's pretty boring. <laughs> um, so I, I, I would say probably being like, like, you know, a T, a TV hacker with all the crazy technology they have, you know, like, you know, if you like, you remember, you remember the movie Swordfish? What was it like 2005? That movie yes. came out. Um, you know, he, like when, when, uh, Hugh Jackman is sitting there compiling the, the, the program and you know, all the little cubes, like there's nothing like that. It doesn't look like that. It's all, it's all text-based. You know, like if you look at Wireshark, it's a bunch of like hexadecimal and like stuff you can't interpret. It's the, the real world of hacking can be pretty boring. And, and I mean, it's, it's cool if you're, if you're into it, but it's now I do, I do joke. Let me, let me, let me tell a, a little joke story here. Um, so I, I ran into some, some cardiac stuff in my early twenties and it's all genetic. So I've been on blood thinners since I was 26 years old. And it has, it's, it's been in hitting my, my mid late thirties that the effects of the blood thinners have really come through. So I've gone from being a very like hot blooded human being to like, I'm freezing all the time. So any given day, if you could be a fly on the wall in my studio office, you will see me sitting there doing it work in a hoodie, sometimes with a hood up. So, so I kind of joke that I look like, you know, some 1995 hacker sometimes at work, but, but <laughs> there's a very utilitarian purpose there. Like I actually am, I'm, I'm freezing. I'm like, my hands are cold. I'm just, I'm old guys. What do you want from me? Right. Like, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I actually do, I, I think being, I think being a TV hacker with all the cool TV technology would be cool or being MacGyver. It is, it's funny. I never really thought about it before. When we say hacker, the mini, the, the visual that comes into mind is somebody wears a black hood. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> well, and you know, it's funny. I, I know the audience can't see it, but I've actually got my, my hoodie right here. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. What geek occupation would you not like to do? Oh, no, see, I'm, not, I'm ready for this one. A red shirt in Star Trek. 
<laughs> can you? I mean, can you imagine, man? Like you, you spend your, you, you, you live an entire lifetime, right? You're born, you go to school, and you know, I mean, like who knows what education is like in the, in the Star Trek universe? But you go to school, you live this really full, unique life. And you're like, I want to join Starfleet. I want to serve. I want to, and they're like, and then, you know, you, you get, you get, you go through all the training. You're like, you know, you're, you're, you're ready to serve. You're assigned a ship. And then they, and it's time to get your uniform. You're so proud. And they hand you a red shirt. And, you know, you're screwed at that point. <laughs> you're going to die. And it's not, and you're not just going to die. You're going to die some like horrible, horrific death. Like there was a, there was a Star Trek novel written back in the, I think it was in the seventies. And I, I specifically remember one thing about it. There was a, a, a red shirt guy who gets eaten by a plant. Like they're on this kind of inhospitable world and this plant reaches out and grabs the guy. And then it like regurgitates him afterwards. And then and it talks about like his body just looks like it'd been cut up by a bunch of razor blades and stuff. Or, or you get thrown into a volcano or you get eaten by a triple, you know, like you remember being, you know, melted by the tribbles. Like what? I, I mean, and, and what happens if you, I mean, can you quit Starfleet at that point? I mean, if you get the red shirt, can you quit? I don't think <laughs> so. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to die. Always the running joke was Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, Dr. McCoy, and Ensign Johnson are beaming down to the planet. Which of them is not coming back? <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely uh, the red shirt guy from Star Trek is my answer. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Well, that's, you know, Roddenberry, that's why he gave the, uh, the you know, the captain a red shirt in Next Gen because, you know, he wanted to break that trend and everything. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. I want to tell you guys if if I ever if I if I make it big as a director and I get assigned some kind of Star Trek franchise, there's going to be a lot of red shirts that die. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna I mean like I, I'm sorry I'm gonna have to hire a lot of there's and I'm I'm gonna get crazy with it, man. Well, that's like, why I was excited when Quentin Tarantino said he was going to do a Star Trek movie. It's like oh yeah, there's gonna be red shirts in that one. And if you, if you imagine like I didn't know that. I'm ashamed I don't know that. Can you imagine if he brings Tom Savini on board with that, the things they're going to do? Can you imagine a rated R Star Trek? Oh, my gosh. That'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, it's going to have Samuel Jackson in it. It's going to have, you know, all you know his regulars and everything. I want to see what Brad Pitt's going to do in the movie or, or Leo. Like, mm-hmm. that, that'd be interesting to their parts, too. That's so cool. I didn't know he was doing that. Yeah. Well, it's rumors and it's been, you know, in the tabloids for years. So. Yeah, it's a, it's not going to happen. But yeah. it 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 was going it was they were considering it at some point. I think it was I think after, it, has to happen. it was after the third Star Trek movie came out. Yeah, the, I think so. The the third of the new series of them, you know, the Kelvin universe, I think they call it. All right. I you, you know, if 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 I ever if I ever hit that place, like if I have that kind of pull and and I get handed Star Trek. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to hire Quentin Tarantino. Like I, I'm gonna. It's that needs to happen. That has to happen, guys. <laughs> like that'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. All right, Brian. Are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? Lay it on me. What you got? What is your ultimate geek fantasy? I think you just said it before about Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool. Um, ultimate geek fantasy. Um, I would love to do a movie. It, 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 man, it would just, it would just be the, the amount of money it would take in licensing and stuff, but it would be really cool. I have an idea for a film that would bring together, um, pretty much every like major horror icon out there 
you know, past and present and, and put them in a really precarious situation. Um, and it's, it's, uh, and I think I will write, I think at the very least, I'm going to write the screenplay and, and, you know, you just, you never know, but that's, that, let me give you a better answer. That's like, cause I, cause it, since I'm not going to go into it, um, I, th- I really, I, I have, I, this may sound sappy, but I want to eventually interview everybody that was in Dawn of the Dead that's still, that's still alive. I, you know, I can't, I can't interview George, but, um, but I want to interview, uh, I mean, down to like Rubenstein, you know, like I, I want to interview everybody on that film, Galen Ross, David Imge. You know, uh, I want to have Ken on the show. I want to interview Tom Savini. Like, I'd say that's my biggest geek fantasy. I, I want to be able to tell every one of those people how much of an impact that film had on me and, and, and what the, the inspiration they were. Um, it, it's, I mean, like e- even my, even my company name, you know, Dawn Journey Productions, there, there's actually a story to how I even got to see the movie. I, I, I didn't even realize the movie existed until I was a, a 12-year-old boy. You know, in, in, in the, the late 90s, I mean, like the internet wasn't a big thing. YouTube didn't exist. And I come home from school one day. Is it okay if I tell the story? Do we have time? Mm-hmm. Go for it. Okay, great. <laughs> I love to tell the story, too, honestly. Um, it, it's... I, I came home from school, turn on, you know, and you guys remember when MTV played music, they played weird cartoons. Oh, and back in the old days. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you know, there, believe it or not, folks, there was a time when MTV didn't do the real world and, you know, reality. There, there was a time when it actually meant <laughs> music television. Yeah. Yeah. It all, it all started with TRL that I think that was the beginning of the end for MTV was TRL. But um, I came home from school one day and there was a uh, a show playing that it was it was just playing clips from different horror films. And I remember there was this vista of a mall parking lot, and there were all these grayish blue zombies walking around. It was Dawn of the Dead, and and at that point, I mean, I loved zombie films because of Night of the Living Dead, seeing it as a kid. Not only not only the '68 version, but I also got to see the the 1990 Tom Savini version in like '91. Not saying it was the greatest thing in the world for me to see those movies, but you know, hey, I I I fell in love with them. So I was all about zombies, but I had no idea that that, that George Romero had done. Not only he had done it, you know, that movie, he had actually done Day of the Dead as well. I had no idea he had done three films. So I immediately went on this journey to see this movie. So it's like, okay, I'm I'm 12 years old. It's 1997. What do I do? You know, so the first the first thing I did was I actually found the the book. He he wrote a book with a, a woman named Susanna Sparrow. Um, they, they did a novelization, and I found a first edition copy of it at the library. I never I didn't finish the book for some reason. I couldn't tell you why, but I didn't finish the book. But I did read some of it. Um, so I, I I had the book. I think it was that Halloween rolled around, and I was at my grandmother's house, and I actually told her this recently, and. They had, uh, I think it was Dish Network, and there's a, you know, there's the 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 TV Guide channel on Dish Network you can go to, and I remember seeing on one of the movie channels, Dawn of the Dead was going to come on at like 10 p.m. I couldn't believe it. I'm finally getting to see this movie, right? I don't remember what movie was playing in the beginning. I could care less. It couldn't go off quick enough. It could have been like, you know, some. It could have been Citizen Kane. I don't know, but it didn't matter. It wasn't. It wasn't worth it to me. I wanted to see Dawn of the Dead. So 10 o'clock rolls around. I remember seeing the red carpeted wall. You hear that creepy goblin score play. I remember Galen Ross, like she wakes up and she's grabbed. My grandmother walks down to the room, tells me it's time to go to bed. Ah! No, no amount of begging. I did not get to stay up. 
I had to go to bed. I came that close to seeing the film. So I think it was about a year later. I, I finally found the movie at uh, uh, like a blockbuster Hollywood video or something. And I, I came home, <laughs> man. I mean, you could cut the anticipation with a, with a knife. And I had never seen anything like this up until that point. I mean, the first 20 minutes of this movie, you see somebody get, you know, a chunk ripped out of their arm and their shoulder. And then you see a, a head explode. I never, I don't recall seeing anything quite like that before. That movie changed my life. Um, I, I knew I had seen something special. And I knew at that point, like this, this is a film that redefines cinema, you know? And, and, and that was it, man. Like nothing, nothing has ever replaced that film for me. The only thing that even remotely came close, came real close, but it never made it. I, I, I'm a big Queen fan. Mm. And, um, I, uh, I saw, when I saw the Queen biopic, I, I really enjoyed it. But just I, I don't think anything will ever dethrone Dawn of the Dead for me. That movie just has too much history with me, and it means too much for me. Awesome. Oh, totally makes sense. Well, Brian, I've got some great news for you, my friend. You've made it through the geek seat. Congratulations. <laughs> huzzah, huzzah, huzzah. Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $68.42. Hey, all right. Thanks, guys. It, uh, it's only in station money. It doesn't, yeah, it's, it's not really, worth anything. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, something. It's just like monopoly money, I think, is worth more at this point. Um, well, well, let me say, let me just real quick say, it has been an absolute privilege getting to, to, to be amongst you and, and be on your show. I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. Dude, well, we've had a great, great time as well. Yeah. You've been awesome. Um, where can people go to find out what you're working on, find out about the podcast, what you're doing? Uh, where can they go online? Yeah, so uh, we, I've got a, a Dawn Journey Productions Twitter. Uh, I've got a Dawn Journey Productions Twitter page. Um, I'm sorry, a Dawn Journey Productions Facebook page. Uh, they can find me on Facebook as well. Uh, it's, it's under Brian Parkerson. Um, just look for a guy that looks I, – I recently found out, apparently, that I look like Francis Ford Coppola, and it's true. <laughs> I do. I look like – I mean, no joke. I, I actually did a side-by-side. Um, I, when, when we get done recording, I'll show it to you guys. I, I, I literally look like a young Francis Ford Coppola. So look for a guy that looks like young Francis Ford Coppola. That's me. Um, I, you, you can, you can follow me there. I've got a, uh, my, my movie's called blood repentance. Um, I've got, I've got a Facebook page there. You can find me. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, the podcast is called that other interview show. Uh, I'm on every major Google, Apple, Spotify, you know, you look forward, it should be out there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we will have links to those in our show notes so people can go check it out, check out what you're doing. So, awesome. uh, yeah, it has been, like I said, our pleasure to have you join us, man. Yeah. Same here, guys. I really appreciate it. Dude, it is awesome. Now we're going to go to infinity and beyond, and we're going to be looking all at light air. Let's take a break. Everybody, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. And a couple of weeks ago, the Foo Fighters and the family of Taylor Hawkins announced a pair of tribute shows to Taylor. The first one will take place September 3rd at London's Wembley Stadium, followed by one on the 27th at LA's Kia Forum. Uh, tickets for these went on sale Friday. I have not checked, but I am sure they are completely sold out. So we're hoping to hear news about streaming. 
but the uh, lineups for these shows have been announced with um, additions coming all the time. Uh, they have many of these artists are appearing at both shows, um, making the trip, and it's just a tribute to how loved Taylor was, especially when you see that Getty Lee and Alex Lifeson of Rush. Um, Alex is having, you know, health problems. Um, so for them to play both shows, that's, that really says something. Uh, also announced for the London show, uh, Liam Gallagher from Oasis, Brian May and Roger Taylor of Queen, who will also be on hand in LA, Roger Taylor's son Rufus, Stuart Copeland of The Police, Josh Hom of Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, they recently announced John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin, Alan Yo- Elaine Johannes of Queens of the Stone Age, uh, Nandy Bushell, uh, the 11-year-old drummer who, of course, went viral drumming with Taylor Hawkins, Nile Rogers of Chic, Chris Novoselic, um, Jane's Addiction bassist Chris Chaney, Chrissy Hind, Wolfgang Van Halen, Omar Hakim, and uh, Taylor Hawkins' band Chevy Metal. Uh, in L.A., uh, Miley Cyrus, Joan Jett, Mark Ronson, uh, Alanis Morissette, Gene Simmons, Motley Cruz, Nikki Six, Chad Smith from Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, John Theodore from Mars Volta, Weezer drummer Pat Wilson, uh, Stuart Copeland again, um, Chevy Metal will also be appearing there, Pink, Leanne Rimes, Hearts Nancy Wilson, Big, big shows. So looking forward to those and hoping there is some information about streaming soon. And last Monday uh, in L.A., the Prince of Darkness, Ozzy Osbourne, underwent surgery that uh, Sharon Osbourne said would determine the rest of his life. Um, He has uh, some leg pain and nerve damage from previous injuries, and it's impacted his ability to walk. So the surgery was very important uh, by all accounts. So it did go well. He was released from the hospital the next day, and he is hoping to recover quickly in time to renew uh, wedding vows with Sharon in Maui on their 40th anniversary. Those crazy kids. Uh, This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment. We'll catch you next time. It was the dawn of another podcast. The Epsilon 3 is a dream given form. It's a home away from home for three guys to watch a 90s sci-fi classic TV show. Three guys with microphones over 3,249 miles apart, all alone in the night. The year is 2021. The name of the station is Babylon 5. The name of the podcast is the Epsilon 3. Veer, bring me a drink. Buzz Lightyear Mission Log, Stardate 3901. After a full year of being marooned, our first hyperspeed test flight is a go. Who are you talking to? Uh, no one. You were narrating again. I was not. Just doing the mission log. You do know no one ever listens to those. I know that. Narrating helps me focus. Ready, Captain Lightyear? Ready as I'll ever be, Commander Hawthorne. This is exciting. A new adventure. I'm going to grant you four minutes to be off planet, but then you come right back to us. To infinity. And beyond. You are clear for hyperlaunch. Beep boop, beep boop, beep boop. Buzz, that was utterly terrifying, and I regret having joined you. Buzz like you to Star Command. Come in, Star Command. Why don't they answer? Uh, hey, hey.
Hey! Shh! The robots! The what? What is happening right now? Alicia? Oh, no. That's my grandmother. But, Socks, how long were we gone? Meow, 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 meow. 62 years, 7 months, and 5 days. What? I hope you're ready for action. Because all we needed was a pilot. For what? To destroy the alien ship. I have a plan, and I have a team. Darby can take any three things and make them explode. I do this, and they shave a little time off my sentence. Okay. And what about you? Well, I thought this was going to be like a fun boot camp workout thing. But it is not. Did I get it? Pretty close. I need the, you know what saying, the harpoons? Buzz! Buzz, you! Probability of survival with an inexperienced crew is 38.2%. Hmm, seems a bit low. Mission failure imminent in three. Grandma always said she believed in you, too. One. That was a big swirly do. Oh, I think I need a bag. No, no. Please record your last words. Do not vomit inside the vehicle. Do not vomit inside the vehicle. If you are satisfied with this recording, speak or select uh. one. To infinity. Are you trying to get me to pull your finger? Don't fall for it. No, not like that. Ugh. Sorry, it's a thing your grandma and I used to do. Yeah. Welcome back to our station one. Now we're here for the main topic. It's time to go to infinity and beyond. And we are going to be talking all about Lightyear. Yes, the uh, the movie that's about um, a, a toy. Well, yeah, that a toy line was based on uh, a very long time ago. Man, when they said when it says 1995 in the opening thing about like, and I'm like, really? That's how long ago the, the Toy Story came out? My goodness! Uh, but uh, yeah, so Lightyear hit theaters. Uh, we're here to talk about it. Of course, we've got Ashley Pauls, part of our movie crew here. Hello, it feels like I was just here last week. Because you were. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully to discuss a better movie this we, time. We had a massive sleepover because Rob is also still here. <laughs> Hello. You'll never be rid of us now. <laughs> no, yeah. I just locked the key to the t- teleporter away. It's okay. Wait, wait, should I already check what's opening next week? Are we going to just all get together again? Uh, well, <laughs> one, of us will be, one of us will be here. <laughs> I, was, I was just on call and things happened. No, we appreciate it. We appreciate it. All right. So before we get into our thoughts, uh, Lightyear open this weekend. Um, it has grossed up till as of like roughly right now, uh, it has grossed about 50, uh, a little over $50 million in the United States and Canada um, and other territories, making it a total of about $85.2 million. To me, that seems, it's amazing to me, but it, to me, that seems so low. Uh uh, it seems very low. I think it's actually below estimates of what uh, Disney was hoping for. Um, but it, you know, they are making the excuse already that you know it had to contend with uh, Jurassic World Dominion as well as Top Gun Maverick still being in theaters. So they had a little bit more. Co- it, this movie is the first one that really I think has competition uh, ahead of it. Uh, certainly, the first one that we've come across this summer that has a movie a big movie that opened right before it. Um, so, but whether or not it was, would have done better, who knows? Um, I know that when I went, there was, uh, there was uh, some theaters, uh, some of the theaters were th- sold out of the cinema that I went to. Um, it, it was two thirds filled when I went and I uh, went on a Sunday afternoon. So 
I was I was actually surprised because I went on a Thursday evening, which is usually the really busy night because that's the preview night they call it, and it was my my theater was a quarter of the way filled. It, there it was hardly anybody there, yeah. and that that made me a little worried for how this film was going to do. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things at play here. I'm sorry, Rob, were you going to say something? Oh, I was going to say when I went yesterday, there were maybe six people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and when, when we sat down and then right when the credits started, a family of five came in. It was mostly kids. It was <laughs> oh, mostly kids. Uh-huh. No, no. Which made me feel better because it meant that the, the audience that they're right. trying to That's get, the audience that they want. Mm-hmm. You want yeah. to see that, right? So I was kind of down, but that made me feel a little better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know. And I asked uh, the theater I went to, I asked the manager, how's it doing? He goes, you know, it started off well the first couple days, but everyone's still seen Top Gun. Or the people that couldn't get into Top Gun went to see Jurassic Park last week, Mm. and now everybody's trying to get into Top Gun. Yeah, and and usually, like, you know, those movies are more for, like, this should be more of a family movie. This should bring the itty-bitties, right? But I don't know if Lightyear has that same feel as the Toy Story movies do. Um, And this is the first movie that Pixar's had in theaters in two years, which is astounding as well. Um, So... But the way they've been marketing it, and it sort of just has this weird sort of off spinoff feel, like like when Disney used to make those made for straight to video films. This kind of has that sort of feel to the marketing approach to it, I think, um, if not the movie itself. And we'll get into that in a minute. Um, so I don't think, Ashley or, or Mike, I don't think this was anybody's top pick for the summer, uh, but I don't think anybody picked this to bomb or anything. And I think it's still early to say if it's bombed. Uh, I don't consider it a, a disaster, a bomb, or anything like that at this point. Um, I really think Disney's hoping for the Encantro effect basically because truthfully alex and ashley and i were talking earlier on facebook about this and i think that's what disney's hoping for is you know to have the same effect because Cantro did horrible at the theaters but once it got to disney plus it exploded um, yeah. and everything you know and we they every, Everyone was not talking about Bruno. It was pretty awesome. (laughs) That's, uh, yeah, kind of what I think, too, just because throughout the pandemic and, like, you had the launch of Disney Plus and then 2020 hit. And so I think families kind of got used to watching stuff at home online. You have movies like Luca, Turning Red, and even Soul, I believe, which premiered straight to Disney Plus. So maybe even though, like, me as a parent, like I'm really excited to take my daughter to the theater and have a movie theater experience for her. Maybe a lot of parents are like, oh, Lightyear looks fun, but if we wait a couple months, we can watch it at home. So I really feel like that is playing into mm-hmm. its you're, box office. Under you're the starting parents. to get the, you know, the parents who have more than one or two children, you know, oh, it's it gets expensive to take them to mm-hmm. the theater. And oh, everything. sure. And yeah. compared to the, what, five, six bucks they're paying for Disney, you know, and, you know, the kids could be in their home playing at the same time as watching the movie. And it's also vacation time. People yep. are coming out of a pandemic and they're finally going places. Um, and also I think to a certain extent, you know, you're saving money on, on buying the ticket concessions and gas now going to the theater. And I still think too, uh, depending on where you are in the country, parents are still nervous about taking their kids into a crowded place Mm -hmm. in some parts. So there is some of that. Um, 
and I would think that Disney just would have thought of that. Um, but I think this was, you know, set in stone and they couldn't really push it back either. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah. The marketing of this is, a, well, we can talk about this as, uh, more as we talked about the, you know, our expectations going in, but I found the marketing for this movie a bit weird too. Um, so, but, um, Rob, let's start with you. What were your impressions or your expectations for this uh, going in to see Lightyear? And then overall, what, what did you feel like coming out? So I was not, I was, I was going in really happy to see a Pixar movie mm-hmm. uh, because I've seen so many digital lately and I haven't seen any online. And I just kind of like, I really love going to physical movies. Um, so I'm like, let's, and you know, I, I have a, a friend that I, we've kind of gotten back into the habit of going to a movie every week or every couple weeks. So it kind of feels regular again. So I was really excited about that as much as the movie, but I also, I wanted to see this too, just because I'm like, you know what? I think this is one that I want to see on a, on a big screen because I think the chance of really interesting effects mm-hmm. would be interesting. And I just think that seeing it on a screen, I, I might lose something if it's on a smaller screen. So I went into it with that kind of an expectation. I, um, I did enjoy it more than Jurassic Park. Um, and I did enjoy it. Um, I had to, I was a lot like you, Mike, where I'm like, okay, don't hit me with the old stick right when I sit down and tell me the Toy Story came out in 1995. Right? Because I, I, I'm like, wait a minute. That movie's that old. And then I just start thinking about all the things that connected Buzz Lightyear and the Toy Story movie. So it took me about five minutes to get reset. But once it got going, you know, I, I thought that the, the difference characterization of Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story to the move to this movie was not too far of a stretch. Um, I liked the, you know, the, the surrounding characters. I thought they were fun. Um, I thought it had a really nice story to tell. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end. I loved the Easter eggs. I loved the uh, the sly. I mean, obviously, it's sort of like a very Buck Rogers kind of homage, but they had the Bell X-1 reference in there and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference. I loved all that. Um, so that made me happy. And I just, you know, as an adult going to see a kid's movie, I can't really complain about it because I think it did everything it was supposed to do. It was entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the plot was silly, but it's a Pixar movie. You can't sit there and Star Trek it, you know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I liked it. I thought it was it was a nice, nice hour and a half, two hours of escapism. Gotcha, gotcha. I kept waiting for a butt. I kept thinking there was a butt coming. I liked it. I liked it. I kept thinking there's but you know, but no butt. For the most part, no. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, Ashley, what about you? Yeah, well, I think, Rob, you did a great job summarizing, and I feel like my thoughts are pretty much the same. I am also a big movie theater junkie, so anytime, like, I feel like I've just been eating up this summer movie season. It's fun to be going, like, every week, every other week to see something new. And, yeah, coming off the heels of Jurassic World, which was one of my most anticipated but ended up disappointing me, I was ready to just kind of sit back, relax, and be entertained by Lightyear. And I was. It was a fun movie. I... 
um, enjoyed the setting. I'm always excited to see sci-fi of any kind on the big screen. And I thought that Socks, the robot cat, was a scene stealer. And I just loved every moment that robot cat was on screen. I would have been perfectly content if instead of Lightyear, this movie was called Socks and was just about the adventures of this robot cat going across the universe. So that was really fun. And yeah, I think it is good to keep in mind that this is a kid's movie. It's not an instant classic like some of the other greats like Toy Story or Monsters, Inc., some of these Pixar movies that kind of defined a generation and are such well-known and impactful animated films. Like, this was a fun one. Like, I could have waited to see it on Disney+, Plus, but I didn't mind seeing it in the theater. And this will be one that I'll look forward to watching with my daughter when she gets a little bit older. But yeah, there were some creative choices that I'm still kind of thinking about and mulling over. And I also, growing up, I remember seeing kind of a version of the story before. There was an animated Buzz Lightyear movie. I have no idea how good it actually is. As a kid, I just loved that. I thought it was a great animated movie. So I have a lot of nostalgia for that and the little TV show cartoon that ran too. So I kind of remember that. So I thought it was interesting that they chose to do a movie about Buzz Lightyear, but totally separate from what that previous cartoon was. So, yeah, I think... Was the the premise the same, though, that that was the show that Andy was watching? I don't think... Well, I'm not sure about that. I think it might have been, actually, or it might be a spinoff of what it was. Yes, so kind of like this was a cartoon that you could have seen within the Toy Story universe. So it's kind of interesting that they went back to that same concept and did something different. Obviously, this is a much bigger budget production. The previous animated movie was uh, like straight to video. But yeah, just kind of interesting that they decided to tell this uh, similar story again. But I'm sure we'll get get into more of all of that as we chat more. About absolutely. The absolutely. Because bo- I do bo- think. And both of the animated ones that weren't Toy Story involved didn't have Tim Allen as the voices. No, I think uh, Patrick Warburton was, was the voice, the voice of in, in the Buzz Lightyear. Yep. Wow. Wow, I did not know that. Because um, there was some, there was a lot of confusion about this movie. I think when it when it came out, there was a couple of things. There was a confusion because people were like, "We don't. Is this the toy? Is this what? Why is someone else voicing Buzz?" Uh, that got a lot of talk. I mean, even like um, one of Tim Allen's like what is her uh, uh, co stars from his TV show was like blasting Disney for not using uh, Tim Allen's voice or whatever, and. I think there was even, you know, when I mentioned it to Michelle, I was like, do you want to go see this? She's like, I don't know what this is. Um, she's like, I don't want to see a Buzz Lightyear movie where about the toy without the rest of the cast. Mm. Um, you know, because the last Toy Story movie was pretty much focused on Woody. Buzz was in it, but he was not nearly as big of a character as I think as he had been in the previous uh, movies. So this one was more of a lean to the other one. And then, of course, you had the stupid controversy about the kiss. Um, And so it was banned in a lot of countries and a lot of places weren't playing and people were upset. A lot of families weren't going because it had, you know, it was on the list of not to see. So, I mean, that that might have had an effect on the box office as well. Um, so, um, but yeah, I do think the marketing was weird, but Mike, what did, what did you think about it going in and and coming out? Well, I think I had mentioned it during the, when we did our summer movie preview, the original trailer, I had no interest in going to see this movie, but then when they put out the second one and it actually gave the plot a little bit more, 
it made the movie interesting. It made it sound like, oh, there's a lot of depth to this. And I was, I was all go. It was one of my movies, I think, that I said I was looking forward to seeing. And did I think it was going to be the top movie? No, not at all. But it was one of them that I wanted to go see. And I wish I could have seen this last week instead of seeing that damn dinosaur movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, but yeah, I, I very much enjoyed it. Um, you know, I kept on, you know, hearing Buzz Lightyear. I said, damn, that's America's ass, you know, the whole time. But it was, it was fun and it was a good movie. And the cat, the cat made the movie for me completely. And I did like the little twist they did with Zerk. I had let, I enjoyed that. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. And, you know, but overall, I thought it was a fun, interesting movie. And, you know, it was a popcorn movie. It was something when I was a little kid, I would have loved to have sat in the theater with a tub of popcorn and watch this and, you know, with my friends and instead of being a jaded adult and having to review it for the <laughs> podcast, you know? Wow. Okay. So, so, so wow. Resentful much. No, just kidding. Um, oh, no resentment at all seeing this one. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I look, I don't know if this was a movie that anybody really was dying for. Like, I don't know if the demand was there, but and but they were doing it and uh, and they did it. And I think everybody was sort of like scratching their head going. And I was sort of the same thing. I'm like, uh, you know, I don't know if this is a movie that I wanted, but it's Pixar and they are usually one of the safest bets you can make in 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 the business. Like if you're going to a movie and it's done by Pixar, yeah, there's going to be, you know, a little bit of a scale there, but it's pretty much going to be worth it. Um I mean there's some some that are better than others, but the way Pixar approaches things, the way they approach their movies, storytelling, characters, everything like that, I always have confidence in them for bring, doing the right thing. Um and so I thought, well, it's going to be solid. Like, I have no doubt that Lightyear is going to be solid. Exactly how solid and is it going to touch people? I don't know. Um, is it going to touch me? I don't know. So uh, so when I went in, that's kind of the mindset I had. Uh, I did not see it in like real 3D or 3D or whatever. I mean, I know that it was probably capable of, of being like amazing on those levels. I don't know. Did Rob or Ashley, did you guys see it in a, like a 3D movie or theater or something like that? Nope, I did not. I didn't even work out to see it in IMAX with the Showtime. So just ah. regular old theater for me. Yeah, yeah me it too. wasn't. It wasn't even. I think an option in 3D here. Gotcha. Wow. I, I, know. Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I to be fair though, I picked the theater with the smallest amount of chance of seeing like large crowds. Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, it, the theater I went to has a 3D and a Dolby like cinema. Uh, a couple of them actually. And, and I noticed that it was sold out in the, those showings. So I went to a, just a regular theater and saw it and it was, I mean, it was fine. I, you know, I, I thought it was great. I don't know if it would have been more impactful had I seen it in a 3d environment. I have yet to see a 3d movie uh, since uh, I started going back to the movies again. So it'll be really interesting to see what that is going to be like uh, at some point. I'm sure that'll happen. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at you, Avatar. 
Uh, but <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> if, you're gonna, if you were going to see Avatar, which we've got scheduled to review, if we're going to see it. I'm going to see it in 3D. There's no way I'm seeing like Avatar in non 3D. Uh, but and and usually Pixar does pretty well. I mean, the one thing um, I can say is that you know the the technology, the the animation is is top notch. I don't have a problem with any of the animation here. There's times where I just forget it's animated, completely forget. I don't even like. It just seems like a live action movie. Maybe they should have done a live action movie. Maybe that would have been better. I don't know. But um, coming out, I was really impressed. The story was solid, as you pointed out, Rob. The um, the uh, the the message that it had about you know making mistakes and making and, and letting them either de- you know destroy you or whatever. Uh, it was really, I think, impactful. Uh, the characters were all memorable and great and fun. I chuckled a few times. Uh, Socks. Ashley, you're right. Socks was amazing. Um, and man, that's one thing that I don't think Pixar gets enough credit for. You look at most movies, and if they have a side character, a cute character, a fun character, a funny character, you're like, oh, that's going to be annoying. Pixar, you don't have to worry about that. Like, those, those, they're solid. For some reason, they get it right. They understand, like, yeah, Socks could be really annoying if someone else was making this movie. Pixar's making it, and yeah, everybody wants a socks toy. Booby 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 wop. <laughs> <laughs> that was just awesome. Um, so I enjoyed it, I, but I do think you know I'm sensing from everybody it's like we enjoyed it, but it, we didn't love it, right? I mean, I don't think it, just, did anybody like who any of you guys, Mike? Did you like love this? No. Okay, so no. it's a solid movie. It's a good movie. Well, I had a good time. As you said, Mike, it's a popcorn thing. Um, but it's it's missing, I think Ashley put it, like it's not, it's missing like something of greatness, right? That's really, that. Yeah. and I don't know if that's because it's just not touching, it's not the right movie for the right time. You know, people see this in five, five years, whatever, and watch it and it's like, boom, all of a sudden it, it affects people differently. Or if it's something inherent in this story and the storytelling in this character that it's just not, just doesn't, not what anybody wanted to see. It's just not clicking with us. It's interesting though, with the movie, it, it had some really classic moments and some moments that were like, whoa, that is awesome. And, but there was, you know, the whole scene where he kept on shooting off into space and four years went by and another four years and another, and that, that could have been cut in half real easily. And, you know, it, it showed his obsessiveness. Yes. But, you know, and that he was blaming himself for them being stuck on the planet, but these people weren't miserable living on that planet which was pretty interesting and they evolved and they basically, you know, started building a life for themselves. They built a city, you know, under the laser dome. And, you know, so that is the one, that is the one suspension of disbelief that I did besides the physics was just the fact that they could build, they had all this stuff in their thing that they could build or they could just mine all this. But I'm like, this movie's not for an adult roll with it. Be quiet, you know? Um, and I think, you know, when you go to a Pixar movie, not everyone is going to be up where it's just going to, like, 
punch you in the face with emotion, or it's not going to be Toy Story that, that really sort of tugs at your nostalgia. So I just knew going in, this wasn't going to be that. Uh, it doesn't mean I didn't like it or anything. I just, there's some, there's some movies you go into with Pixar that you're just like, okay, it's a Pixar movie, mm-hmm. right? And there's some that you go in and you're just like, okay, I know it like, when I went to see up, it's like, I know I'm going to cry, you know? Um, and that's perfectly fine. And we have to keep telling ourselves, or at least I have to tell myself that like, okay, hit after hit, after hit, after hit, after hit with their track record. Even the, even the misses aren't terrible, right? You can't really, you're, you're so used to at this point going into a Pixar movie, expecting to at least like it and be pleased that it's really hard to hate a movie from them. Um, but that also, to the same extent, raises the bar really high for when you go see one, um, at least for me. So that's kind of my process with it is I was not expecting to love it. I thought I would like it. I thought it was going to be this nice nod to lots of other things. And I thought that would look cool. And all the space effect stuff with the going around the sun and all that stuff looked amazingly better than I thought. It did what it was exactly what it was supposed to do. Yeah, I think in some ways it's kind of like, you know, if I, if, I, if, I, if I dare to compare it to the Jurassic Park franchise, when Jurassic Park, the first movie came out, we talked about this last week. When the first movie came out, it was, it was game changer. I mean, it changed. I mean, the audience, the, it, it was just one of those movies that you just marked, like, if there's fixed point in time, like <laughs> Doctor Who believes, right? Like, like that one is a fixed point in time because it just changed so much about the way people see movies, the way people see dinosaurs, the way people, the way movies are made, the way studios look at It's like, it was a game changer, right? Same thing with Pixar in the first Toy Story movie. When the first Toy Story movie came out, people were like, computer animation, that sucks. That's no good, right? And then Pixar comes out and be like, boom, uh, you know, here's what we can do. And everybody's like, oh, my God. And it's, I'm crying. There's This movie's got heart, and I can identify with the characters and all this kind of stuff. And it's just amazing. And then, but it was still rough enough that, like, Toy Story 2 and other Pixar movies would come out, and they'd be like, wow, now they can do hair. You know, Monsters, Inc. came out, and you're like, wow, they can have a, a CG hairy character, and it looks amazing. Uh, they can do water, and it looks amazing. Uh, but then they got to a point where I think the Pixar movies were good story-wise, but they weren't, like, they weren't changing the game. They weren't like doing, they weren't amazing to us anymore. This movie is good, but it's not amazing. It's not something that's a game changer. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. It's like, you kind of want to give it a, like an A minus or a B. It's like, no, you didn't do anything wrong, kid. It's just not great. <laughs> like, you know, like, um, so it's a, a weird kind of feeling. I do think also, Mike, the marketing, we talked about going in and you talked about the ads, Mike, that the marketing was kind of misleading. Like, as far as what the story was. And I noticed that they changed some lines in the, mar- in, from, yeah. the from what was in the ads. And there were some scenes, some dialogue that was in the ads that was not included in the movie. So um, I do think, you know, that was interesting. That, and it was kind of a little misleading as to what this movie was going to be. Because um, you've got kind of the idea that, that he was going to go far in the future and on one jump that he was going to go like 60 years in the future and that 
like he and this like band were going to be the only ones on the planet against this like thing that invaded or whatever that the colony was gone and and all this at least that's the concept i got from the end so i was really interested like i was it was really interesting when i was watching the, the first act the first act of this film i was like wow this is not playing out as i thought at all um and I thought that was pretty good. I mean, like, good for them for, you know, I mean, not good for them for misleading me in a trailer, but good for them for coming up with a story that I am i didn't see coming. You know, it's like too many times you'd be like, I saw the trailer and I saw, I feel like I saw the movie. And you can't say that with this movie. <laughs> like, um, but uh, so we talked about, um, you know, sort of our feelings going in and out. Um, let's talk a little bit more about Buzz. And 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 how he's depicted here, and the the decision to have Chris Evans do the voice to be a little bit different than the Buzz that we see as a toy. Um, I read one review that I thought was interesting, and they said that one of the problems with Buzz in this movie, as opposed to the Toy Story franchise, is that he's a toy in in the in the fran- in the Toy Story movies, and he's he's acting like the big hero that he knows how to do everything. And he's, and he's sort of like, but because he's a toy, it's kind of a joke, you know, that, that, ah, like, look at Buzz Lightyear, the toy. He thinks he's like all that. He's an action hero, but he's really just a toy. So he can't really do the things, especially in the first movie. Like he doesn't know that he can't really shoot lasers out of his thing or whatever. He can't really fly, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so that becomes a joke, but now we've got a Buzz Lightyear who's not a toy who we're just supposed to take it at, at, at face value that he's like an amazing hero. Um, I was really surprised that it, it addresses pretty much in the first act that he fails. Like he's, he doesn't get the job done and he gets obsessed about that. I thought it was a really interesting way to look at buzz and a decision to, to treat that character, but it's different from the toy. It's a different from a buzz that we know. Is that, how do you feel about that, Ashley? Cause you mentioned that in, in your review as well. I think a little bit about the way buzz is treated in this. Yeah, I think it was a smart idea to get a different voice actor for this, if only for the reason to help in people's minds separate, like, this is Buzz, the real person, versus Buzz, the toy. Like, he's meant to be taken a little more seriously. He's um, meant to be a little less silly. And I think if you had had that, the voice of Tim Allen, we would have thought back to Toy Story, be like looking around the corner, like where's Buzz? Is there going to be a cameo of Mr. Potato Head or all our other favorite Toy Story characters? So I think it made sense why they wanted to um, play the character a little more straight in this movie. But I, it did take me a while to get used to seeing Buzz Lightyear with hair. That kind of threw me at first a little bit because you're so used to that, like his little purple helmet thing so it was weird seeing buzz with hair like it threw me for a little bit but i think those were some changes again to kind of get you um out of that mindset of this is not really a toy story movie but it's a movie about this character set in its own universe and i think again that might be why people had a little bit harder time connecting with the ads and this might i can really see this one being one on Disney plus as people kind of figure out, okay, this is what it is. Then they'll discover it a little bit more and it'll make a little more sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rob, any thoughts on that one, on, on the main character and his, his, his depiction here? Um, you know, with regards to the hair, I was really amazed 
when he walked out on the planet and the wind blew and they made his hair move. I thought that was just a really cool little nuance. I'm like, Ooh, that's cool. So I did really, really think that, you know, yeah, they're really separating him from the character. I, for to me, it's perfectly fine to have Buzz be different in the movie. I would think that having the Tim Allen voice would distract me. I think I mm. much like Ashley said, I think I, I'd, I'd start reaching into thinking about toy story and other things. And also, you know, there is somehow you have to sort of break down a, a wall sort of, and you're like, okay, you're not watching a toy who thinks he's a movie hero. You're watching an actor playing a part that a toy is based on. Right. So you kind of have to process this. Right. I think Chris Evans sort of treats this like, um, I, like it's, I think he went into it with the mentality of like, this is a blockbuster film. I am the sort of like cool actor at the time playing this character. And I think that it was a nice sort of restrained version of the buzz that we get in Toy Story because now you understand why Buzz Lightyear in the Toy Story movies is just so over the top, right? You get it now, right? Um, because it's the theater of the imagination with the toy thinking, oh, I'm, I'm larger than life, right? So it made the Toy Story interpretation a little more believable to me. I think that... Uh, I thought Evans was fine. You know, um, I thought he was doing exactly what I thought he was going to do, which is just, you know, play, play a fairly straight laced, you know, guy in space, Mm -hmm. you know, hero that wasn't too far in the extremes. And I did, I love the failure aspect of it, but I also love the way that he could not, really form relationships and other people had to form them and bring them in, bring, bring, tug him, grab him into the relationships, um, which kind of happens also in Toy Story. But like his relationship with Hawthorne, I thought was really, really terrific. And sort of like, she's just like, makes it work. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I like that he wasn't perfect. I like that he was flawed and the message of like, it's okay to fail. It's okay to screw up. Um, you know, and I think it's a nice, a nice touch um, by contrast to the Toy Story films. Yeah, yeah, and the message of like you, it's okay to mess up, but or it's okay to try to, you know. Obviously, it's cool to like you want to complete the mission and to keep trying, but at some point you just have to move on, right? Like, because um, everybody had moved on but him, and I think that's that's Mike. What I I took out of the whole like every four years thing, it's like gradually like everybody in the colony is like yeah we're moving on uh yeah. but you're you're but, not and but, now granted, but he, he never had the chance to. to well he never took the chance to because he felt like it was his but um uh but i'm curious mike because you pointed out and you know we're getting into obviously you know we've announced at the top of the show that there's going to be spoilers here but um the main bad guy the re- the the um the reveal of is it zerb is that right Am I zerb. Zerb, zerb right yeah. So, um, uh, because so the ro- because the robots couldn't say Buzz, right? Uh, I thought it was going to be reverse, like instead of like Buzz, it's Z- you know whatever. Um, but anyway, Zerg, because Zerg is this is not the first time we've seen Zerg. Zerg has been around, right? Um, I don't know if his history is prior to this, but he was a toy. Yeah, Zerg was in Toy Story two, I think the first. Gotcha. So, and it was it was very interesting too. 
because, you know, of they played around in Toy Story 2. Buzz, I am your father. And, you know, the whole thing with right. like, playing off of the Star Wars thing. This was a neat little, you know, twist on it. And it was actually Buzz, but an older alternate universe Buzz from an alternate history. And I liked it. And I thought it was cool. But the problem I kept on seeing, when I kept on seeing the older Buzz, I kept on seeing George Clooney for some reason. <laughs> it was it was James Brolin. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the look of the, the look of the character, it, it looked a lot like Clooney. And it was just like, okay, that's taking me out of it a little bit. It was but, to me, Yeah. No, go ahead. To me, it was kind of like an older uh, Kurt Russell kind of thing. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. the same, it's the same stereotype. Yeah, yeah. Oh exactly. man, bring Kurt Russell back to Disney. Come on, let's do it. Let's do it. No, sorry. <laughs> well, te- technically, he already does work for Disney. Like you know, you know, because he was in Guardians too. That's true. That's true. Spoilers. So, but you know, it was it was interesting too, though, because you know this Buzz um, was like you said he was the straight man in a lot of it to these goofy you know younger characters and everything. And then you had the cat, you know, playing off of him also. But it was interesting. If they would have had Tim Allen, Tim would, Tim's character would have had to have the comedy and have to have, you know, the silliness involved with it. And I think this was done a lot better that way. And I like how he dealt with Zerg and, you know, how Zerg, you know, you know, he was, you know, when he revealed that it was his older self. I liked it. And, you know, he, there was a point it looked like he was actually considering going along with Zerg's plan, too. Right, right, right. Man, it really felt like, man, I got a, I got a really like 1998 Lost in Space vibe when that reveal mm-hmm. was made. I was kind of like, are they lifting something from that movie? Because who would do that? Like, I just, just like that. I don't know if it's an homage to it or just, you know, whatever it was. It was done better than it was in Lost in Space. So I could say that. Um, but, uh, but, but Ashley, you had a little bit more misgivings of it, at least according to your, your article, right? Yeah. Um, I was surprised by the twist, which I mean, I will always give props to a movie that will do something different. I'm still kind of deciding whether I liked it or not. Um, again, going back to, I remember watching the animated movie as a kid and Zerg was the big villain in that film. Gotcha. And he was very over the top and silly and melodramatic. And he was a really fun and enjoyable part of that movie. And so it just kind of threw me that there was the idea that there wasn't actually the big bad villain there that the fact that the villain could be yourself and i think that's an interesting choice when you think about um if this was the movie that andy saw as a kid in 1995 think about more of those type of movies like you want to have the villain the big villain characters you can sell these action figures you know the idea to have the villain actually be a twisted darker side of your of your hero is actually a little bit deeper than um maybe a little more serious than what i was expecting so that could be something that I could settle into in the future, but um, yeah, I admire that they did something different. I'm still deciding whether it worked for me or not, but (laughs) again, like sometimes it takes you when you have in your mind, something that you expect and it's different. Sometimes it takes you a while to come around to what the movie actually was versus what you were anticipating. Yeah. And you had a preconceived notion of what, because I'd only, I'd only saw the toy of that character. So I had never seen, 
the villain character mm-hmm. before really interact or do anything. So I didn't have any preconceived notion of who he was before. Yeah, I wish they would have explored what happened during the blip, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're all linked together. Of course, it's, an, it's another multiverse of madness uh, thing. Because it kind of uh, felt like it sort of felt like we were going to get a multiverse again. Yeah, I'm like are we going to get this? And then you know, like <laughs> like Mike said, it kind of had the sort of like uh, older villain kind of Thanos older guy villain thing going on. So. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting choice. It worked. I think it worked for the to tell the story that they wanted to tell about, yeah. you know, how how if you just keep like wanting to do the same thing over and over again. And what is the, what is the phrase? If you do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, that's that's the definition of insanity. Right. Um, or something like that to the effect. I'm paraphrasing and probably badly. But but that's that's kind of how it plays out here. It's like he's doing the same thing over and over again trying to give each that same goal. Everybody else has moved on. He's trying to do the same thing. I'm not sure exactly when the alternate buzz was created. I thought I was a little bit like, you know, I didn't, I didn't think the movie did a really good job at kind of explaining where he came from. Well, he basically, what they said is in his reality, he, when he had the working drive, it took him far into the future basically is what he said and it over you know where he only jumped four years and he the other you know the alternate buzz said he went you know over 30 years in the future yeah i don't know like was it split up at that time like i didn't like i I would have liked to see some sort of and maybe rewatching it you can actually see maybe some sort of split at that time when they're going through the gates or when the hyperdrive uh, is is re- is d- does work or something. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of uh, kind of one of the. And I wasn't didn't really you know. I'm not looking at this like. I mean, this is science fantasy. I'm not really looking at it as like a you know scientific thing from that point of view. There's a lot of there's a lot of callbacks to other. I mean, I mentioned Lost in Space. I don't know if that was intentional or not. There's a lot of callbacks to many 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 science fiction and 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 space uh movies uh stories etc cetera, etc cetera. um I, was, I didn't see many easter eggs or references to the toy story franchise did anybody catch anything because no. i think they were tr- they're trying to stick away from stay away from that right they're not this is this is something con- completely different on its own um uh, as far as any of the other uh, space uh, or uh, space story references, any anybody that any call out that you guys liked appreciated? Well, this is a small little thing, but I noticed that the little crystal that they use to um, power the ships reminded me a lot of coaxium from Solo, a Star Wars story, like the little blue crystals that they're always going after. So I thought that I had. I feel like that would have to be intentional, but that's a fun little tie-in I saw, especially since Solo is one of my favorite Star Wars movies, but I feel like it doesn't get a lot of love or appreciation. So if that was a call-out, I appreciated that one. I, I couldn't help but notice, or to me anyway, I was thinking like, sure, if it's if the crystal's one color, it doesn't work. When it's multicolored, that's how we move forward. And I was like, man, for this month, that is like, that is even more so than the kiss, the same sex kiss. I'm like, that's really progressive. <laughs> I didn't even uh, find the same, the same sex kiss really all that, you know, noticeable. It well, was like, we, boom, we wouldn't. You, 
you blink and it's gone, you know, over with. And it was just like, really? Yeah, that was what people we were thinking about. You know, we're not, we don't have out of our antennas like, you know, feeling that way. Uh, but for those people who are in those countries or whatever. Uh, but um, all right. So anything else you want to say about the movie? Real quick, I do want to point out last week, um, I kind of ragged on uh, Michael Giacchino. I usually love his stuff. And I thought his uh, score for Jurassic World Dominion was just pedestrian, not really feeling anything from it. Uh, that is not the case for Lightyear. Um, I may not like I didn't. I may not gone out of the theater thinking I want to buy some of these toys, uh, except for maybe socks. But I did think I need to get that soundtrack because it is it a great space soundtrack. I mean, it has sort of like the feel of some other space things from our youth or whatever, and it just felt so good um and so, you know it, it it touched both those buttons the nostalgia button as well as like ooh, it feels fresh um at least that's my feeling about the the soundtrack uh anything else ashley that you want to point out about the movie um yeah just i think someone else had mentioned i enjoyed the camaraderie between um the recruits i loved just like kind of the eclectic mix of people and again just the idea if you were going to pick up a lineup of heroes to go save the planet you wouldn't necessarily pick these people but yet when they were given the chance they rose to the challenge and again i just always like movies that encourage kids to think that space exploration is cool. And like, I think it's a good way to get kids introduced and to be curious about this field. So I always appreciate that about movies. Kids could become a space ranger now. Yeah. Space ranger. Uh, Rob, anything else about the movie you want to point out? I, you know, I love the side characters. I really wish that Darby um, would have been Ruth Buzzy. I just thought that would have been awesome. <laughs> um, that's, you know, if that, and I'm reaching, but I was like, because the minute I heard uh, the other voice, I'm like, you know, it'd be a nice little nod to have Ruth Buzzy or some body of that ilk sort of in it. You know, I just thought that'd be really cool. But, yeah. Um, I loved it. I loved the nods to 2001. I loved the, uh, the way the effects were. The, I think the effects and the music were the star of the movie. Um because I was kind of going into it curious to see how they were going to do a space movie, right? And I, I liked, you know, like you, liked the music. I, I liked how they did the, um, I'm trying to figure out the best way to put it. I thought the, I thought the pacing was well. It never, dra- it, it, it would have these minutes of drag, but it was never too long. It had these moments of action, but they didn't overwhelm you and sort of swallow the film. So I thought the pacing of it was pretty good. And, um, you know, I thought it was really nuanced. The characters that were supposed to be a little crazy and over the top were, but they weren't annoying. And I thought that, uh, even the side characters, like, you know, that guy Diaz, right. Who's, um, who's like running around trying to kill all the, uh, little bug creature, or that little snake creature. Oh, right. Right. Um, I, I, and I loved, I really loved the end credit thing. I thought that was a hoot. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so after yeah, I credits think, to like two, I think we got two, right? Like yeah. mid credit on after credit. Yeah. And I thought it was really cute how they sort of did a lot of that, that stuff. So to me, it did all the things that I want a really good movie to do. Um, it did not blow me out of the water, but it did everything it was supposed to do. And um, I just thought it was a really, I think it's, I think the best thing to say about it is it's really solid. 
Mm-hmm. I, I am curious, Ashley. Is this now a character that has the vo- as voiced by Teka Watiti that you enjoy? Yes. Yeah. So I know I'm really hard on. Is it Korg or yeah, the yeah. rock creature? You and me both. You and me both. Yeah. The I've way that, been... that Thor trailer starts and I'm like, oh, don't start with him. I know. I was just like, oh, please no. But, you know, I will have to say I really enjoyed Mo. I thought he was charming and I liked the fact his clumsiness, but in the end, he could be a hero too. And then his pen also helped save the day. So I I was, I was really charmed by Mo. So I'll, I can sit through Korg in a few weeks. I'll just close my eyes and think back to Mo instead. It's like like Mr. Watiti. When does he sleep? You know? Yeah. Like, and he's making a star Wars movie too. Like, am I the only one that when he saw that guy kept thinking of Alexander sitting? Oh, very uh, much. No, so. no, a, no, a little no. bit, a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. I can see, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I thought he was great. I thought he sort of nailed the comedy, and you just sort of knew the pen with the, the pen was somehow going to mm-hmm. come to play. But you didn't mind. Like it, the setup gags were fun. Yes. And, yeah, you know they're set up, but you're like you're anxious. You're like I can't wait to see how they use. Yes, them. because you're, you know it's Pixar. You trust them to pay it off well, right? And they do nine times out of ten. But uh, Mike, anything more you want to say about the movie? It's a fun movie, and I was once again amazed how many people left when the credits started. <laughs> and there were three endings, you know, to this one. And it's interesting because you know when the Disney, when the Pixar logo at the very end, you know, and came up, and the Disney logo, I was like, okay, it's over. There's only two, and then you see Zerg again, and. It's like, oh, awesome. Because the other two were just jokes and everything, you know, love my laser dome, you know, <laughs> you know, and the guy giving direction, the robot giving directions. And it's like, then you go, go south. And this would be, you know, it's like, but then you had the one with Zerg. If you, if they decide ever to do the sequel, you'll have Zerg back and everything, which is cool. I would I would feel really bad if somebody left before the third one, you know. <laughs> sure, I really sure, sure. would. I will say that I I left like I left right as the Pixar logo came on because I was like, well, there's nothing after this, so I I did miss out on that too. So, but enough reason to see that again, and I will see this movie again. Um, the uh, the only thing I I have to say to add uh, now that we're toward toward the end is that. Uh, I like the character of Izzy. I especially thought her her fear of space and that scene where she has to face that fear was really well done. Because I was like, you know, I've watched so many space movies, I kind of forget how terrifying space could be. And uh, I thought that was really impactful. Like, it really made me feel afraid of space. And I thought, man, they're, they're, really, they're really doing a good job with this. And uh, I appreciated <laughs> yeah. that. The thing that worked with me with that is when they mentioned you just go forward. Yeah, yeah. Right? You just it's go like, forward. It's like, oh, thanks for thanks for ruining my mojo there, guy. Yeah. <laughs> you just go forward and then but she does. She doesn't she's on it and then you just move and you're like and that scene where she's man, I thought sorry I thought Sox was a goner. I was like I was like, Oh my god, like he's you know, he's just beeping in space and I'm like, We're gonna have to pick him up later because, you know, the save save him at the end or something, but now nah, she just reached out and grabbed him and I'm like that. Thank you. That made that you got me. You got me, guys. Um, and yeah, they got me. So now uh, we'll before we get out of here, we'll rate it and uh, let me know if you want to see a sequel, a follow up to this one. Ashley, 
Um, you know, I'm, I'll give it probably seven out of 10 just because, um, I felt like, again, it wasn't mind blowing, but I had a good time. Whenever we ever done out of 10 on this show? Oh, out of 10. Oh gosh. You can do what you want. (laughs) You can do it out of 10. This is. Can I'll restart. I'll restart. Like I mathematically, what is that? Like four, four, three, four, Does five, that make four, it into a three and a half, a three, three, three quarter? I'm going to be like Buzz Lightyear and go back in time and restart my rating. So. <laughs> just, we're just moving on. I'm going to give it a four out of five because I felt like it was entertaining. It wasn't mind-blowing, but you know what? Not every movie necessarily has to be. Socks was a five out of five for me. I just thought... <laughs> <laughs> that character was so much fun. And in some ways it kind of feels like this is interstellar, but for kids, kind of some of the same ideas of wow. people, you know, missing out on like Buzz kind of sacrifices his chance to grow old with his best friend so that he can try to save all these people. So there's really some deeper stuff going on. And I will look forward to watching this again on Disney plus. Yeah. And the sequel, you are you on board? You know what? I wouldn't, I don't feel like I necessarily need a sequel, but if there was one, I would probably go to see it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Rob, what about you? So if there is a sequel, they would probably do some sort of uh, digital only socks thing. Uh, that, <laughs> that's kind of how I could see this happening, but I, I'm fine without a sequel. I'm totally great. Not having one. I want there to be movies where they don't make sequels. Um, imagine that. Wouldn't that be strange? In a um, world where they never made sequels. Yeah. So <laughs> or I'm prequels. Gonna, I'm going to give it on a, on a hundred scale. No, um, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to go back before her. And then, no, um, I'm going to give it a four because, you know, it did, a, it checked, even though it still sort of was kind of weird and hollow sort of, um, it checked off all the boxes it was supposed to do for me for a good movie. It, it played on nostalgia. It had great references to stuff. The effects were good. The music was good. Um, it executed like it was supposed to. Um, so I gave it a four. I, I thought it was enjoyable. And um, I went into it wanting to escape the madness of the world for two hours. And that's what it did. So it's getting a four. Getting a four. Mike, what about you? Wow. Um, for me, I'm going to do a 25 out of 32. Now, um, for me, I'm going to do a three and a half out of the five. I enjoyed it. It was fun. There were parts where I was glancing at my phone. I won't lie, but I overall enjoyed it and I thought it was, it was fun. And that's what I wanted, especially after last week. And I think it was a good refresher for us. And because I think, you know, I think we're our next movie we're going to review is Thor. So I think we are going to, you know, be ready for it. But, you know, I'm glad I don't, didn't have to go into a second week with a bad movie. And, <laughs> you know, that's and, always a good thing. Yo, it is, especially after how bad that movie was last week. Um, I hope that's the worst movie we see for a long time. I hope so. I really hope so. But, you know, I'm going to go see Elvis this weekend, so I'm going to be very curious on that. So Yeah, I'm curious uh, about that one, too. So it's going to be very interesting to see where we go. And But do you want oh, to see a sequel to this? Do I want to? I could see him doing more of, like you said, a socks 
cartoon, like a one-off, like the mini, like they did with Doug from Up and everything. But I could see them doing more Buzz Lightyear stuff with this for TV instead, mm-hmm. you know, like a animated show. But I don't see them doing a second movie. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, I'm going to agree with most of you uh, because uh, four is where I'm at as well. Um, and it, like I said, it's solid. It's good storytelling, good characters. Pixar is just the best at doing a lot of things. This isn't the best Pixar movie, uh, but they at least know how to make a better movie than, oh, I don't know, let's say Universal um, <laughs> from last week. Um, you know, I, all, you know, as all summer movies or all movies should be like this good and we should complain, right? But um, yeah, it's not a, I can't put it in the level of greatness, um, but I do think it's really solid and fun. A lot of fun moments. I would rewatch this uh, again in the theater or, uh, you know, when it comes to Disney plus, uh, if they say that they're going to make a sequel, I'll be in for that because I, again, I trust Pixar and I, I would imagine that they'll try to outdo themselves. They'll try to make it better. They'll try to make it great. And I'm like, I, I would love to see that. Um, Cause I think it is, there's still interesting stories you can tell. And I'm a sucker for space exploration, like Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, give me Buzz Lightyear. Like I, if that, if he's the only one that's going to hold that torch, I'll watch it. I'll take it. Um, so, so that's what, and yeah, so I will see a sequel and I'm getting a solid four. So yeah, at least, uh, we've got that taste, that uh, Jurassic taste out of our mouths, right? <laughs> you guys. So, so, uh, thanks for joining us for that. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to go from to infinity and beyond to six from beyond with our good friend James Paul. What's the Soul Forge podcast? The Soul Forge podcast is all about life, the universe, and everything. Is it good for kids? Oh no, it's not good for kids. Is it geeky? Oh, it can be geeky, but it can also be serious. We talk about life, sex, dating, and mental health, and so much more. Where can you find the Soul Forge podcast? You can find it everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, and the ESO Network. Hey everyone, welcome back. Now it's time for the Creative Outlet segment, and our friend James Palmer is back. You got a new Kickstarter going on, my friend. What's going on? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, it's great to talk to you as always. I'm doing a uh, Kickstarter for a new short story collection I have called Six from Beyond Stories, um, uh, Stories from Beyond Infinity. Um, it's uh, it's actually five stories and a novella. Um, just different stuff I've been working on, uh, you know, through the pandemic and stuff. Um, it's going pretty well. It, it funded in around an hour, maybe a little under that. Wow. That's amazing. So, uh, I mean, I'm not asking for a whole lot, but I, I'm still, you know, Im- impressed uh, w- with, with everything. I've got some cool rewards, um, some, you know, bigger stuff, and people are um, – People are, are, you know, willing to, to support me and back me and and uh, you know, grab some of that stuff. So it's it's uh, super exciting. This is my third Kickstarter. That is awesome. Yeah. Look at that. Super quick too. What was you know what was your goal? Like fifty cents or something? And just people you know, just did it that quick. <laughs> well, no, it was it was two hundred and fifty dollars because it was 
Uh, my last one was for a um, omnibus edition of Monster Earth, and I had a lot of other authors involved. And Monster Earth has been out for a while, and a lot of more people know about it. Uh, since this was a solo project, I kind of wanted to experiment a little bit uh, to see if I could do something. This it's all me, um, and and just one book, which they tell you you shouldn't do. Um, <laughs> um, you know, do a trilogy or something. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to kind of experiment and just see what I could do with it. Are all That's the awesome. are all six brand new tales have they never been published before, or, or are you pulling them from other um, sources? Yeah, I mean, I'm pulling them from other sources. Uh, three of them have been published. Uh, I, I think one was in um, the one of the expanding universe anthologies. Another was uh, it, I got invited to submit uh, to it, and then one of them I uh, published myself as a standalone ebook um, back several months ago. Awesome. Um, most of it is never before published. The uh, the title, of course, Six from Beyond, uh, is very pulpy. Are they are they sort of got that feel to them, or is everything a little bit different? Or what what can people expect from this? Or if people are into certain genres, certain styles, uh, what what should, should they find here? Um, it, it's kind of pulpy because it's me, but um, <laughs> it's it's a little all over the place. I've got, I've got space opera, uh, military sci-fi. I've got kind of uh, a, a blend of, of, I guess, urban fantasy, uh, some humor. I've got a story about uh, Santa Claus who works as a monster hunter for the federal government in the off-season. I've got a story about conspiracy theories. That was one of the invite anthologies. Um, so it's a little in, in tone, it, it's a little all over, all over the place. I, I think it's a, it's kind of a mixed bag of stuff. It gives people a chance to kind of, um, sample more than one kind of thing from me. Yeah. It sounds like a great sort of sampler. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. You just didn't want to call it the Palmer sampler. <laughs> yeah, no, because because you know then those those Palmer chocolate people are are all over you, and it, it becomes a thing. I I, I joke with people that uh, that I'm the heir of a vast candy fortune, but that isn't true. I wish it was. The same way I'm, you know, the Everhart Faber people, you know, type thing, you know, with the pencils. Exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. pencil fortune. Exactly. You know, that's why we're doing this wonderful podcast because we don't need to work, you know. Oh, absolutely. And follow yeah. your passions. That that stuff's recession proof. And if you believe that one, folks, we got some nice swampland in New Jersey for you. <laughs> so that's awesome, though, dude. It sounds like it's a great project and everything. So you've hit your goal already. What kind or what are some of the bonuses you have for people now to. Uh, still you know give you guys some more money um i have got um you can get the 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 biggest one and coolest one i thought especially somebody because somebody snatched it up right away um was i had um for two hundred dollars you can i will dedicate the whole book to you and that was uh limited to only one for obvious reasons and somebody snatched that up like first thing uh, which blew my mind. I didn't. I didn't think. I, I think that. I thought that would still be sitting out there. Um, I've got. Uh, you know, you can get a copy of the ebook. 
you can get your name in the book in, in the back. I do always do a list of uh, Kickstarter backers. Uh, for 25 you can get a copy of the print book. Um, I have Tuckerization. I have four of those where uh, I name a character uh, in one of the stories in the collection after you. Uh, nobody has uh, snatched those up yet. Um, so a, a, a lot of cool stuff. I've got an add-on uh, of these little uh, Mechanoid Press logo pens. They're my uh, that's my publishing imprint. Um, so I've, I've got those in there. Um, just yeah, all, all kind of cool stuff like that. Not as much as in the Monster Earth, but there was there was more moving parts to that one. That's pretty awesome, man. All right, so how can people find you, and how long is it going to go till? It is up until it's got another um, 23 days. Um, you can go to – I sent you guys the link for your show notes, but you can go to yeah, Kickstarter, uh, search my name, search Six From Beyond. Uh, it's Six From Beyond Stories from the Edge of Infinity or just Six From Beyond um, and just uh, you know, back away. You can find me on, on Facebook. Um, I, I'm you know putting links out to it on there, sharing that as much as I can. Uh, it, it's funded, but I still want to see how far I can take this, and this will be the only way you can get uh, some of this stuff because I'll, I'll launch the book on Amazon and stuff a little bit later, probably probably closer to Dragon Con. That is awesome. That is awesome, man. Well, congratulations, my friend, and you know all the best with this project, and you know. Let's close up the show now, and we will see you guys in a sec. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about South Park, The Streaming Wars. South Park is back on Paramount Plus with another mini-movie, this time poking fun at the many streaming services, but in their own South Park way. Denver is running out of water and may have to go into drought status, but the people who live there don't want to give up watering their lawns or their golf courses. So the farmers of South Park learn that they can sell their water if they prove that the streams from their farms go into Denver. Now enter the streaming wars. The kids of South Park start a business making small boats for the farmers to show that their water from their streams goes into Denver. While all of this is going on, Cartman has decided that he hates living in a hot dog house and that his mom needs to marry a rich man, which means in order for a rich man to like her, she needs a boob job and tries to figure out ways to raise money so he can get his mom a boob job. This story is so incredibly Cartman, it's not even, like, it's it's funny, but it's scary how good these writers are at their characters at this point. Like, this, this is such a Cartman story. I won't spoil the ending, just in case some of you didn't know this was out and want to watch it, but this was incredibly funny and actually very anti-capitalist for South Park, which is a very interesting change. I really enjoyed this one, and I love how they keep adding layers between seasons and the mini-movies. So I would highly recommend this if you really liked last season of South Park. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Air Station One podcast. want to thank everybody for joining us. Rob, thank you. Two weeks in a row, my friend. 
Yeah, I know. Who got laid off? Exactly. Well, you know, there is a reason certain people aren't on the show anymore. But, you know, we're glad to have you back, sir. Well, thank you. Anything you want to promote? So uh, I mentioned it last week. I'll talk about it this week. Uh, Also on the mothership uh, is Modern Musicology with uh, myself and Sir Anthony Williams. And um, we talk about music, all kinds of stuff with music. Um, And uh, it's on this network. So listen to that. And uh, you can find me on uh, all the uh, usual channels that uh, pervade social media and uh, also uh, the Weekend Justice podcast for NeedCoffee.com. Awesome. Always great to have you, sir. No, thank you. This is fun. And Ashley, thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you. Always a pleasure uh, chatting movies with you guys. Out of 10? Yeah, yeah. 10 out of 10 stars okay, <laughs> would, would return again. <laughs> awesome. What do you got to shout out about this week? Yeah, so this week I uh, just want to give a shout out something that's been on my mind. My family and I recently adopted a pet cat from our one of our regional humane societies. So I just wanted to give a shout out to humane societies and everything they do. I know a lot of them in our region are facing like an overflow of pets and they're having trouble keeping up and may be unable to care for that pet. So if you're looking for a pet or even have any extra room in your home, uh, consider either supporting or looking there to get a new pet. Cause I just really appreciate the good work that they do. So yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to my local humane society, but also ones in areas just doing good work. And I appreciate what they do for um, society. That is awesome. Here, here. Yes, very much so. You know, they, it was in the news here in the Atlanta area. Two of the biggest shelters in the Atlanta area had to close their doors because they're overflowing and they yeah. can't take any in. And they try to be no-kill shelters. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just like so many people got pets during COVID, you know, the lockdown and they actually now that they're getting their lives back they're starting to go out again they're turning in their pets because they Mm -hmm. don't have the time for it folks getting a pet is a commitment it's like getting a a child in some ways and a member of your family and this is it's just crazy what these some of these people are doing and these you know a lot of these shelters are nonprofits mm-hmm. and you know they need as much help as they can get and if you have it like Ashley said if you have any room in your heart or any room in your house to take another pet they really can use it and everything and don't get a pet and just put it outside folks mm-hmm. that is one of the worst things you could do especially in the summer in the south here come on that is just crazy you know it's it's just cruel you know you might as well leave the pet at the shelter it probably has a better life than living out in a dog house or make it a cat that roams and everything all the time it's just it's just wrong you know and you know pets are meant to be loved and you know they have feelings too and it's just it's just what needs to be said and you know it's becoming an epidemic of how many pets are need and need homes and these are good dogs and cats and rabbits and whatever birds whatever other pets that are turned in you'd be amazed what gets turned in and don't flush your you know snakes down the toilet folks come on you know uh, i have a friend of mine who was a plumber who had to pull a python out of a sewer and everything it was just like not fun 
So, because the, the people were wondering, why is my toilet getting clogged? Oh, we put a baby python down there six months ago. And it's like, oh, God, you idiots. But anyway, that's enough of me ranting. <laughs> and that wasn't even going to be my shout out tonight. <laughs> Damn. Uh, it's still informative. I didn't, I didn't know that the, that the shelters were in the area were closing, but that does explain why we, there are a lot of them are coming to our house. Of course, Mike. Well, you know, you you guys have the big cat paw in the sky, you know. Yeah, they know that you're good people, so. We exactly. sure do. No, it's suckers. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. And Mr. Mike, thank you very much for joining, uh, being here again tonight. As always, it's my pleasure, sir. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Well, what isn't my pleasure uh, is that uh, this has been a pretty bad year for uh, great comic artists. And uh, we lost a, uh amazing oh, artist. yes, we did. Yes, we Tim did. Tim Sale uh, over the week. Uh, and, uh, man, I, I first uh, experienced Tim Sale's work on uh, the Grendel series uh, that Matt Wagner wrote. And he did the art for... Um, Grendel, uh, Devil's Reign and Devil Child. It was so amazing stuff, uh, such amazing stuff. Um, and then, you know, I followed him over the years and when he, when he and Jeff Loeb did Long Halloween, it, it is still one of my favorite Batman stories of all time. Uh, his work on their work on Superman for all seasons, their work for Marvel. Uh, I got a chance to meet him once. Uh, just once at Heroes, uh, a few years ago. And, uh, I'm glad I did. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, um, it just, you know, he seemed, he's a lot younger than the other folks we, you know, the other great ones we lost this year, uh, George Perez and, um, uh, Neil Adams, but still the loss I think is just as, as great. Cause he was, he was a unique talent that really had an impact on the industry and he's going to be his, you know, his legacy is there. It's not going to go anywhere. It still will be remembered and his work will be remembered, but, uh, it's sad that we lost the man. Oh, very much so. Very, very much so. And folks, if you don't get a chance to see his work, look it up on Google or, you know, his work was beautiful. It really, and it was very unique. It wasn't cookie cutter, which is really nice. And, you know, the work he's done, his Batman and his other work is I've seen some Superman and a lot of other characters he's done and even non DC or Marvel stuff. It's just beautiful. Definitely check his stuff out. It's, it's, it's a sad case. Well, I did my, I did my shout out technically already, you know, you know, my word of advice though to everyone is if you're going to the airport, folks go early and everything. Um, we found out personally on Friday that the airlines are bumping people. They're canceling flights left and right. And, you know, even if you're like a minute late for, you know, when the 10 minute mark before they, you know, close the doors, they're so overfilled that they're giving away people's tickets, you know, right there on the spot and the, the airplane sitting there waiting, you know, for another 15, 20 minutes, but they'll give, give out your seat and, you know, tough tooties, they said, you know, it's pretty, you know, heartbreaking. And, you know, even if you have like a TSA pre-check or something, they're so understaffed at the airports that that's still taking 45 minutes at some airports. Atlanta, I'm looking at you. So, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty disgusting um, what the airlines are doing and, you know, what they're becoming also. It's just, it's just crazy. And, you know, 
if you're going to be flying this summer and there's a lot of travel ahead for a lot of us, please, you know, give yourself time and give yourself patience because these airlines don't care. They just want to make a buck off of you. And so definitely, you know, take it as you will. All right. Two soup soup boxes tonight. Okay. I'm standing down. All right. I'm going to get Zen now because next week we are going to become one with the Jedi again. We are looking at Obi-Wan. We are going to be reviewing the the miniseries or series. I don't know if they've even said it's going to come back for a second season or anything. So I'm going to be very curious to see what everyone's thoughts are on it, how it is, and, you know, what it, what it was. Because I've heard good and bad from folks on it. And, you know, I'm going to be very curious to see what our crew thinks about it. But join the sun, of course, as always. We love talking to you guys. So, of course, leave feedback for us wherever fine podcasts are found, or write us feedback at earthstation1.com. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. It's always it's always a pleasure when we get, you know, emails from people talking about the shows or how it, stuff in it that we've talked about affects their lives, that kind of stuff. And as always, thanks for listening to the Earth Station 1 podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you could also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now TuneIn and Pandora. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mike Gordon, Rob Levy, and of course, Ashley Pauls, thanks again for listening. We'll see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe, hug your loved ones, and give yourself enough time at the airport, folks. Peace, and we are done. Boom. Yay! You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.